come on a journey with a cinephile. Wake up, sucker. We're thieves and we're bad guys. That's exactly what we are. Welcome, listeners, to episode 150 of Journey with a Cinephile, a horror movie podcast. As always, I'm your tour guide here of David Garrett Jr., recording out of Columbus, Ohio. And on this episode for you here, I actually am doing my Odyssey to the Ones list. This is going to be going through my top 100 over there, some honorable mentions, and my bottom 10. But also on this one, I have mini reviews of The Phantom of the Opera from 1962, you know, to keep up with those Trek to the Twos. Then I also watched Allegoria and Firestarter from this year here in 2022, so that way I got in, you know, a couple of those as well. Don't think there's anything else I need to get you up to speed with here. This is going to be a bit longer of an episode, so I'm trying to cut this a bit short so I don't take up too much of your time. But what I will say is thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy coming on this journey with me. Journey with a Cinephile. And for my first mini-review, it's going to be Phantom of the Opera from 1962. This is directed by Terrence Fisher. The screenplay was written by Anthony Hines. And then this comes from the composition by Gaston Leroux. This stars Herbert Lom, Heather Sears, and Edward D. Souza. This is a drama, horror, music, mystery thriller film that is from the United Kingdom. This is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, an acid-scarred composer has his dwarf helper bring an opera singer to his London sewer hideout. So if you don't know, this is the hammer take on the source material here. Now I saw this one originally a few years ago. At the time I was working through different versions of the classic stories, so this would be me venturing into those hammer takes on this story by Leroux. And it had been some time since watching this, and I'll be honest, it makes it even more interesting now that I know the history of Hammer. And this one, I've seen you know a lot of takes as well, so that also kind of adds a little bit. And also helps me kind of to pick apart these different ones because of that. So, as I've saying is that I've seen quite a few adaptations. I've also seen this on the stage in London, which gives me an interesting connection as well. Now, where I want to start would be the commentary I take from this version as well as some of the other ones. This is looking at class. We have Lord Ambrose, who is betrayed by Michael Goh. I think that's how you say his name. Now, he is a jerk. 
He's also the playwright, and he seems to have a bit of creative control due to his standing. Now we have Latimer, who's portrayed by Thoroughly Walters, and Harry Hunter, portrayed by Dee Souza, who know how to tiptoe around him. Now Harry does get caught mocking him, but Ambrose seems to file that away until he needs it. We learn more about this situation as there's a connection with this Professor Petrie, who is the true writer of the play. Now, this might be a slight spoiler, but the movie low-key reveals this early on, if I'm going to be honest. One last concept that I want to kind of go into is Harry dresses nice, but we see he's a good guy. He treats the women who are rummaging through the opera house trash with respect. He isn't even rude to the rat catcher, who is a little bit weird, and I like that we establish that he's decent. Sticking with Ambrose and his treatment of people, this explores the product of toxic masculinity. Ambrose is a womanizer. He is fine with giving the part to Christine, who is portrayed by Sears, only if she comes back to his apartment. When Harry gets her out of it, Ambrose releases her from her contract and then looks for a replacement who will sleep with him. Without spoiling it, I don't like that this movie doesn't fully give him a punishment, in my opinion. He's not the only one who is toxic. I'd even say the Phantom is as well. And the Phantom is being portrayed by Lam. As our synopsis said, he kidnaps Christine and wants to train her to be a better singer. It is odd, though, is that he only wants her to sing for him. I'll give him some leeway as he's descended into madness for what happened to his face and his banishment to the sewers. He is a flawed character for sure. So there's a bit more about the characters that I want to explore. I've already set up that the Phantom is going crazy. He works with a dwarf who he can't control. He acknowledges this, and then this fellow has been beaten down for so long he is prone to fits where he is murderous. The Phantom also has issues where he relives the events that led him to being in the sewer. It makes him a tragic person, to be honest. I'll even give credit here to Lam and his portrayal and this take on the monster of this movie and make him sad. Writer Hines and director Fisher deserve praise for that as well. Him being here has taken its toll. Where things end up being explored, this too. Having an actor like Lam is perfect for this, in my opinion. Now, I do want to shift over to a negative. The route they take the story, I do find this a bit slow. Humanizer Monster is good. The issue that I found is that the villains aren't punished. What they do with Ambrose feels empty. He also doesn't feel like the true adversary here, even though all the events lead to that. I found it problematic, and it hurts my thoughts on this product in the end. Now, to get back to a positive, let me go over to the acting. I've already said my piece on Lam, who is great. Sears brings a cuteness to the role that makes her seem innocent. I thought she was good. DeSouza has an arrogance about him, but we also see he's a nice guy when he stand up for Christine and against Ambrose. Walters was fine, and that would be Thorley Walters, as I was saying. It is fun to see a young Gog here, as I know him from the Batman movies as Alfred. I like him in the more villainous role. Other than that, I'd say the rest of the cast rounded this out for what was needed. All that is left is the filmmaking. Where I want to start here would be the effects. I love the look of the Phantom. It is a variation on the classic version that I grew up with. There's a gray mask that covers his face, and I like that there's only one eye hole as well. Other than that, it is limited with the rest that are used. The blood is bright, but I have a soft spot there. I do think the cinematography is good. I expect that, though, seeing Fisher as a director. We get some changes in perspective, which I enjoyed. Other than that, I think that the soundtrack also fits. We get some classic songs that add atmosphere, and the opera singing also works. So in conclusion here, this isn't my favorite version of the story. I think that Fisher, Hines, and Lom do well in bringing this classic story to life for Hammer. The rest of the cast is solid. This is a well-made movie with the effects to the cinematography and the soundtrack. If I have any gripes, I think that it pulls its punches. I like humanizing our monster, but I don't like not punishing our villains. 
It makes it feel empty for what they're doing. Regardless, I still enjoyed my time with this one. Not the best from this company, but still is one that if you're a fan, I would definitely give it a viewing. So my rating here for The Phantom of the Opera from 1962 is going to be a 7 out of 10. And then up next, I have Allegoria. This is from 2022. This was written and directed by Spider One. It stars John Ennis, Kersey Fox, and Tyler Bryan. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.5 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being a group of artists lives become unwittingly entangled as their obsessions and insecurities manifest monsters demons and death so this is a movie that i didn't know anything about uh, until i saw that it was just on shutter it was under their originals and exclusives i added it to a list due to the poster which creeped me out on top of that i saw that this ran just over an hour i decided to make it my 2022 film for this week since it was a bit busier with my feature as well, you know, having this long list here for the Odyssey through the ones, so thought this one would work out there. So what we're getting here is that we have an anthology, and let me break the setup down with that. This is done by the same team, so it flows that way. It looks like the musician Spider One wrote and directed this, as I was saying. I knew him as the lead singer of the band Power Man 5000. What I didn't know until settling in is that he's the younger brother of Rob Zombie. With that set up, I like how all these stories are interconnected to one another in subtle ways. That is something that I'm a fan of when you can do that in an anthology. So to continue to delve more into this, I like the idea of the connected tissue of artists in all the stories. This can include an actress with Brody, a painter in Marcus, a writer in Eddie, a sculptor in Ivy, and a musician with Hope. Then just kind of break that down a little bit more here. Brody is portrayed by Fox. Then we have Marcus is portrayed by Bryce Johnson. We have Eddie Park is portrayed by Edward Hong. I know Ivy is portrayed by Scout Taylor Compton. And then we also have Hope, who is portrayed by Josephine Chang. Now, they are the main characters in each of the stories. Some of them are connected in other ways. Brody is dating Marcus. Brody and Hope are watching a movie that Eddie wrote. Ivy is Marcus's ex-girlfriend. I should also point out that Brody and Hope are roommates. Seeing all these little things in each of the stories help to keep my interest, and it also helps to show that each of these stories are taking place, you know, in what time they're taking place in regards to each other, and also that they are interconnected in different ways. Now, with using artists as the leads in each of these movies, we delve into the insecurities as the synopsis said. Brody questions if she's good enough for the class that she was accepted into. Marcus is arrogant and thinks that he's doing is, you know, more important than Brody, but there is this lingering thing that he might not be doing that stuff that's all that good. Eddie is hard on himself and inside thinks that he, his writing has holes. Ivy is a bit different from the rest, but I like what they do with her. Hope is also interesting as hers is wanting to discover what the guitarist and her group claims. I like that there is something under the surface and we are seeing manifestations of them as well. Now, I do want to shift this over to a negative, though. Seeing the short running time, I was excited. I think that becomes problematic for some of the things that I've seen. I think that some of the shorts are just too short, and it eats up time. And I think we might have too many due to some of this as well. What I mean is that when we get to the best part of each, it cuts away. In doing that, I think it pulls its punches as I want more. When we see Brody in class, I want to see the aftermath. Same with Marcus. What I will say, though, is I think that actually Eddie's, Ivy's, and Hope's stories work as they should. I also think that some of them should be moved around to allow the ones that are you know, cut short to be fleshed out a bit more. Without spoiling, I do think that Hope's need to stay 
later for story reasons, just an issue that I had with how things are presented. So that's part of the extent what I want to say for the story. So I'll go over to the acting. Ennis is good in his role as Robert, who is our acting teacher. I like what they do with Fox's character of Brody. I enjoy how she fits into everything. Johnson is solid as his arrogant pater as Marcus. Hong fit in his role as Eddie. I'm not sure why the IMDb page isn't acknowledging that Taylor Compton as Ivy, but she has a seductive nature about her that just works. I also thought that Adam Bush plays opposite her as this kind of awkward guy very well. Other than that, I thought that Chang was good as her bandmates were as well. Special credit to Tyrone Oliver, Adam Marcinowinski, and Matt McJunkins, who play different monsters in this movie as well. Oliver and McJunkins play actual ones where Mark Sinowinski's size just makes him work. He also brings character to the role. I thought the acting, though, in general was fine. Then the last thing I'll go into would be the filmmaking. I'd say this is shot well. The cinematography was, you know, pretty solid and I had no issues there. At times, it feels like we're getting, you know, things that are filmed on stage plays with the use of lighting and shadows. That was interesting. There is some interesting things as well with the effects. There is a paint monster that was terrifying. We get some good practical stuff there as well as this possessed person and an entity known as the something. All that was well done in my opinion and I had no issues there. Other than that, I thought the soundtrack fit for what was needed. It shines in the last story as Hope tries to find the right order of these notes. And then the song that she sings is cheesy and it made me laugh. Sound design adds elements as well. So in conclusion, I think this is a decent anthology. I like that this was done by one team so it flows seamlessly. There is also a bit more underneath if you can appreciate that or just watch it on the surface level, which is creepy. Using the idea of artists is interesting. My problem, though, is that too many stories without fleshing out a couple of them properly, that made it feel like it's pulling its punches. Still worth a watch at least once in my opinion, though. So my rating here for Allegoria is going to be a 6.5 out of 10. And I also did want to throw out here that they actually use that title in one of the shorts, and I am a big fan of doing that. And then for my next mini review is going to be Firestarter. This is the one here from 2022. This is directed by Keith Thomas. It comes from the novel by Stephen King. And then the screenplay written by Scott Teams. This stars Zac Efron, Ryan Kiera Armstrong, and Sidney Lemon. This is a drama horror sci-fi thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.6 on IMDb and a 1.9 on letterbox with a synopsis being a young girl tries to understand how she mysteriously gained the power to set things on fire with her mind so this movie that i heard about being remade and i understood it this seemed to be a popular stephen king adaptation back at its release but it's under discussed now i'll be honest it wasn't one of my favorite novels and the movie is one that i think is just okay it explores interesting concepts, which I can appreciate, but I'll get back to that here in just a second, as they are actually still relevant, even though this movie and that previous one, there's a decent little gap here. So what I did notice is that this feels like a condensed version of the novel, as well as that other, you know, the original movie. That's not necessarily a bad thing. I know some gripes people have with King is that he can get too wordy. I'll even admit that I didn't love the novels I was saying. It took me a bit longer to read than some of the others that were from that era, which I tended to just devour. I don't dislike it, but it's never one that I've thought about going back to. It is on my docket, I will say that though. Now to get into the meat of this one, I did want to bring up something that I said you know, just a second ago. There is an interesting dynamic here with the government doing shady things and distrust. 
Now, it is funny that this novel was written in 1980 and the original film was from 84. I'm guessing that some of the stuff about the LSD experiments and MK Ultra were out there. This is King taking on these illegal experiments and incorporating that into the novel. Andy and Vicky in this movie have abilities before the experiment they volunteer for. There's even a bit of scanners here. Now, for this, though, the parents have a child who, due to them having heightened abilities, makes her even stronger. What I will say is that we have this fear and distrust. It still works today thanks to the internet and conspiracy theories. Do I trust the government? No. I know they've done some shady things, but some of these conspiracy theories are just way out there, and remaking this makes sense since the fear still works. Now, where I'm going to go next would be the powers I keep referring to. I love the idea that Charlie has pyrokinesis. It is interesting that we have her as a child here since King's first novel was Carrie. This version does things a bit different, which I can appreciate. Now, the mother is Vicky, and she's portrayed by Lemon. Now, the father is Andy, portrayed by Efron, and then the little girl Charlie is portrayed by Armstrong. Vicky is still alive at the start of this. Something happens to her as a catalyst. We also aren't on the run immediately. I could be wrong on some of these things since it's been some time since I saw that original. This version gives Charlie a bit more power than the others. That makes things interesting since one of the themes previously is that she gets taken advantage of being a child. She is naive and that allows Rainbird, who in this one is Michael Gray Eyes, to get close. We do lose that here, which I think is a misstep and I do think there is you know good and bad in this to be honest. So some of the bad things with this movie is the first thing would be the pacing. I never felt peril. That's not good when you're trying to play up fear of the government. I was wondering if it was due to knowing the story, but I don't think that's it. We just go through the events without worrying. It just kind of felt bland, and I think part of that could be I truly don't get that climactic battle that we got in the original. This one subverts the expectations, which I appreciate for a, a remake. It didn't work as well, though. I also think this fails without building tension, driven by Rainburn wanting to get close to Charlie. How things play out there feels a bit empty as well. I don't like that change. This also goes back to a gripe that I brought up with Charlie earlier in her abilities. It feels like that should have been reined in just a bit more. So that's all I wanted to delve into the story, so let me take this over to the acting. I wasn't overly impressed, even though we have a solid cast here. Efron is flat. I've seen him in things where he is good, and this performance just feels empty. I will take a bit off of him and say part of that could be the writing. Armstrong was good as our little girl. If there is any problems here, I think it's with certain things she says. I did like seeing her dealing with bullying, which is more of a commentary that is relevant. I can see why she was pushed due to that and then her getting you know, revenge. It does mirror too much of a school shooting. And I, when I say pushed, I mean due to it's, I believe this was supposed to be slated to come out earlier than what it did, but then it got slated back. Lemon was fine as the mother. I like the cameo by John Beasley. I thought that Kurtwood Smith was fine in his role. It just feels wasted, like almost... I would bet that he was on set for one day and that's all we got. An interesting performance is Grey Eyes. I'm glad that they cast a Native American in this role. The problem I have is that he doesn't command the screen like George C. Scott did. They also change things so that hurts it as well since we aren't given the scene. I'm not taking any away thing from Grey Eyes. I want to confirm that and I thought the rest of the cast was fine in rounding this out. I am glad though that they cast a Native American for this role instead of, you know, Scott even though he is an amazing actor. Now, the last thing I'd go into here would be the filmmaking. I'll tackle the elephant in the room, which is the CGI. 
I don't have problems with it per se. I prefer when they go practical. What they did here were fine. To be honest, I was checked out by that time that they got there, so I won't harp. What I did think was odd was the cinematography. It felt like this movie was mostly done in soft focus. That is fine for flashbacks or dreams, and I can even oversee it since Andy's power is to manipulate you to do things you normally wouldn't. It felt like this was overused when these cases weren't actually happening, especially during the end sequence. Other than that, the soundtrack was fine without standing out or hurting the product, which is crazy because I'm pretty sure John Carpenter did the score and it didn't really stand out. In conclusion, this is a solid adaptation of a lesser-discussed King work. I like what they did here at times. Modernizing the story is fine, especially since elements are still relevant, probably more so today. The acting for me is hit or miss. I feel like part of that comes down to the writing, so we have a good cast of actors, and they're just not giving the full performance. I'd say that the effects were about the same along with the cinematography. This isn't a bad movie, but there were just changes in things that just don't work well for me. I can't recommend this unless you're a King completionist. So my rating here for Firestarter here from 2022 is going to be a 5 out of 10. That's all I have for mini reviews here. So let me get you over to a brief break before I get into the main feature here, my Odyssey through the ones. So first off, welcome back. And I want to kind of give you just a little bit of what I'm doing here. I mean, you probably have listened to one previously, but... Just so if this is the first one you're listening to or anything like that, what I'm going to be doing is that last year I did my Odyssey through the ones and anything I'm watching, you know, even going forward still, I will kind of update this list. So it's definitely a fluid one. I've not watched all movies ending in the, you know, number one, but these are the ones that I've watched since doing the podcast and everything like that. So what I'm doing is I'm going to do my 100 through 76. I'll then do my 75 through 51. I will then do 50 through 26. Then I will actually end up doing my honorable mentions as well as my bottom 10. And then I will give you my, you know, top movies that fall, the top 25 as well that fall into, you know, this type of category and everything like that. So bear with me, this is going to be end up being long. So what I'm going to be starting off is at number 100 is the movie Sun. This is from 2021. This is written and directed by Ivan Kavanaugh. It stars Andy Matichak, Emil Hirsch, and Luke David Bloom. This is a horror thriller film that is from a co-production of Ireland, United States, and the United Kingdom. This is currently sitting on a 5.6 on IMDb. And it's also sitting on a 2.9 on letterbox with the synopsis being when a young boy contracts a mysterious illness. His mother must decide how far she will go to protect him from terrifying forces in her past. So for this one, if you want a little bit more in-depth review, I'm going to direct you over to episode number 85, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 12, where I had this paired up with Invisible Ghost as the featured reviews over there. So what I will say is that we have an interesting idea here of Laura, while pregnant, escaping this cult. Now that is portrayed by Matichak. She has never fully felt safe, but is you know trying to give a normal life to her son, David, who's portrayed by Bloom. This isn't a new concept, though, and I don't necessarily think this does enough to really set itself apart. It is entertaining. We get some good acting. The effects work, as does the cinematography and the soundtrack. I will give another shout out to the sound design here. For me, this is worth a viewing, and I would say this is an above-average movie. So coming in at this bottom spot here of 100 is going to be Sun from 2021, and that is a 7 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 99th position is going to be a Chinese ghost story. 
So this also goes by a Chinese fairy tale or the original title of Xian Lu Yua Wan. This is from 2011. This was directed by Wilson Yip. This was written by Tan Chuang. This stars Louis Ko, Lua Yi Fei, and Xiao Kun Yu. This is a fantasy horror film that is from a co-production of China and Hong Kong. It is currently sitting on a 5.6 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being Tax Collector Ning, a clumsy and easily frightened man, doesn't have any money and decides to stay overnight in an abandoned temple. Little does he know that the temple is haunted. He meets a very beautiful lady who seduces him, but he doesn't know that she's a ghost, usually not leaving any man alive. So I should also point out this is a remake of a movie that came out sometime before that. Now, if you want to hear... A little bit more in-depth of a review, I did a mini one back on episode number 29, which was Journey Through the Aughts number 5. Featured reviews there were Dr. Cyclops and We Summon the Darkness. But what I will say for this one is that I'm glad that I actually watched this because I'll be honest, I ended up enjoying it. It has an interesting story with some commentary behind it. The visuals are pretty amazing, even if the effects don't necessarily work for me. I'd say the performances of all the stars were solid and the supporting cast helped to build what they needed. It does run a bit long in my eyes and there's some stuff that could have been trimmed to tighten it up. Aside from that, the soundtrack fit for what they needed. I would say this is an above average movie and a lot of fun. Be warned that this is from China and Hong Kong, so I had to watch it with subtitles. If that's an issue, I would avoid this one, but if you don't have an issue there, I think you might enjoy it if you're into movies like this. It's a fun little film for sure. So my rating here for a Chinese ghost story from 2011 is going to be a 7 out of 10 as well. And then coming in at number 98 is going to be Dagon. This is from 2001, directed by Stuart Gordon. It comes from the short stories Dagon and the Shadow Over Innsmouth by H.P. Lovecraft, but the screenplay was written by Dennis Paola. This stars Ezra Godden, Francisco Rabul, and Raquel Marano. This is a fantasy horror mystery film that is from Spain. It is currently sitting on a 6.2 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being. A boating accident runs a young man and woman ashore in a decrepit Spanish fishing town, which they discover is in the grips of an ancient sea god and its monstrous half-human offspring. So, for this one here, if you want to get a little bit more of a review, there is a mini one over on episode number 71, which was Odyssey to the Ones number one, where I had Psycho Gorman and Svengali. Now, this is one that had been on my list for some time and I actually kind of got it confused because I remember seeing one of the VHS covers, realizing now that it wasn't as old of a movie as I thought it was. But I think this is a solid adaptation that is coming from two Lovecraft short stories. In reality, it's pretty much adapting the shadow over Innsmouth and taking the name of Dagon. That doesn't bother me though. I think that the setting of this movie works. Having the character of Paul not be able to speak the language does kind of add a little bit more of an element of horror for me because I've definitely been to another country where I can't speak the language as well. Should point out that he is portrayed by Godin. The acting works across the board in my opinion. The effects are hit or miss. I still like what they're doing here and would say that this is an above average movie aside from the slight issues with it. If you like Lovecraft, I would definitely say that this one works and worth a viewing. So my rating here for Dagon is going to be a 7 out of 10 as well. And oddly enough, coming at number 7, I have Svengali. This was from 1931. This is directed by Archie Mayo. It comes from the novel Trilby from George... L. De Murray, and then the screenplay was written by J. Grubb Alexander. This stars John Barrymore, Marion Marsh, and Donald Crisp. 
This is a drama horror romance film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.8 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being through hypnotism and telepathic mind control, a sinister music maestro controls a singing voice, but not the heart of the woman that he loves. So as I was saying, this was a feature review on episode number 71, which was Odyssey to the Ones number one with Psycho Gorman as, you know, the two feature reviews that were on that episode. And what I'll say here is that this is an interesting one. It feels similar to Phantom of the Opera, but with this creepy-looking Svengali who is portrayed by Barrymore using a different method to convince the young and beautiful Trilby to join him, and that is portrayed, she's portrayed by Marsh. I think that Barrymore's performance is great with Marsh and Fletcher bringing an interesting dynamic alongside. Now, I should say that Fletcher would be Bramwell Fletcher playing Billy. I think that... The effects used on Svengali's eyes for this ability was solid, and there's some interesting cinematography for early cinema. Soundtrack also worked for what was needed, in my opinion. If I do have any issues, this is lacking a bit of story, but again, this is early film in the grand scheme of history. I'd say this is an above-average one, in my opinion. This would be one that I would actually consider watching again, just to kind of see, now that I've watched it, to you know, kind of figure out where I kind of land with it with that second viewing. So my rating here for Svengali is going to be a 7 out of 10. And then for my number 96 film is going to be Murder by the Clock. This is from 1931 as well. This was directed by Edward Sloman. This comes from the play by Charles Bean. Rufus King did the story, and then the adaptation was Henry Myers. This stars William Stage Boyd, Lillian Toshman, and Irving Pickel. This is a crime horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being an elderly woman installs a horn in her crypt in case she is buried alive. So this was a featured review on episode number 73, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 2, and the two featured reviews there were Bloody Hell and this movie here. And for this one is an interesting early murder mystery. I'm surprised it's listed as horror, but I think the possibility of being buried alive and what the movie makes us believe that the character of Philip, who is portrayed by Irving Pitchell, is, you know, capable makes sense. There is a greed in murder as well. I think the concept of this movie is interesting, especially for 1931. The acting helps bring these characters to life. thought the sound design of the horn is effective and would say the cinematography effects and soundtrack fit for what was needed. I'd say this is an above-average movie and one that I think should be seen just a bit more. you got to really like early movies, though, to really kind of give this one a go. So my rating here for Murder by the Clock is, once again, a 7 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 95 position is going to be Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory. This is directed by Paolo Hushka. This was written by Ernesto Gastaldi. This stars Barbara Lass, Carl Schlell, and Kurt Lowens. This is a horror mystery film that is from a co-production of Italy and Austria. This is sitting on a 4.7 on IMDb and a 2.5 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being at a girls' school. Several students are murdered by a snarling wolfman-like creature. Suspicion falls upon a newly arrived teacher. So this is one that I had watched actually on episode 107, which was Italian Horror number 11. I'm pretty sure that I was trying to do this because of being Italian Horror Month, but don't fully remember. But the two featured reviews there were Leviathan and Fear Street Part 3, 1666, if you are curious to go check that out there. But what I will say for this movie is that it's an interesting murder mystery with a potentially a creature doing the killing. 
I can see how a movie like this influenced ones that came after. The acting for this is fine. No one necessarily stands out. The effects work and include the look of the creature. Soundtrack was about the same aside from the constant use of the wolf howl. Overall for me, I'd say this is an above average movie that's just missing out on being good. So my rating here for Werewolf in a Girl's Dormitory is also going to be a 7 out of 10. And then coming in at my number 94 position is going to be The Woman. This is from 2011. This is directed by Lucky McKee. Based upon the novel from Jack Ketchum and McKee... I actually looks like they co-wrote the novel together. And I don't know who necessarily worked on the screenplay. I'm going to give that probably to McKee. This stars Pollyanna McIntosh. Brandon Gerald Fuller and Lauren Ashley Carter. This is a drama horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being when a successful country lawyer captures and attempts to civilize the last remaining member of a violent clan that has roamed the northeast coast for decades. He puts the lives of his family in jeopardy. So this is one that I did a mini review on episode number 91, and that would have been Odyssey to the Ones number 18, which had featured reviews of Lucky and the Spell of Amy Nugent. But this is one that I do enjoy. I like the exploring of the depravity of humanity and how as a species we're actually garbage. Being that this one could be one of our neighbors is quite frightening while also being possible. I do like how broken this family is by the actions of the father, even though he thinks he's doing perfect. I like how all this progresses. I'm not the biggest fan of the reveal at the end. I did think that the acting was solid across the board. The effects were as well. We just didn't get as much as I would have expected. The soundtrack, even though I like the songs, didn't really work for me. This is technically a sequel, but from what I saw, this can be viewed on its own. I did think this was interesting, but as I said, I think this is slightly above average. It isn't the most intense film, but I would keep in mind that it can be somewhat at times coming in. So my rating here for The Woman is going to be a 7 out of 10 as well. And then for my number 93 position is going to be Four Flies on Grey Velvet. This goes by the original title of Four Masque di Valotto Grigo. This is from 1971. This is directed by Dario Argento who helped come up with the story along with Luigi Cosi and Mario Fogaletti. This stars Michael Brandon, Mimsy Farmer, and Jean-Pierre Mirel. This is a crime mystery thriller film, technically. This is a giallo, so I also kind of throw this into horror here as well. That is a co-production of Italy and France. This is sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a musician is stalked by an unknown homicidal maniac who blackmails him for the accidental killing of another stalker. So for this one here, this was a featured review on episode 104, which was Italian Horror number 8, as the two featured reviews was this and Last Night in Soho. Kind of made it almost a little bit of like a giallo, neo-giallo type double feature there. But this is one that was a more obscure Argento film that I hadn't seen until that viewing, and I still enjoyed it. We're getting an interesting gialli. The story isn't great, but it doesn't necessarily need to be either. It kept me interested until the final reveal. The effects were good along with the cinematography. If anything, they went a bit too experimental. The soundtrack and design work. I have some nitpicks here and there, but this is a solid film for sure. So my rating here is a 7 out of 10 as well. And then coming in at number 92, I have The Black Cat. This is from 1941. This was directed by Albert S. Rodrell. This was written amongst Robert Lees, Frederick I. Rinaldo, and Eric Taylor. This stars Basil Rathbone, Hugh Herbert, and Broderick Crawford. 
This is an adventure, comedy, crime, horror, mystery, romance film that is from the United States. This is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being elderly Henrietta Winslow lives in an isolated mansion with her housekeeper and beloved cats. As her health fails, her greedy relatives gather in anticipation of her death. So this one here, if you want to hear a featured review, I'll direct you to episode number 84, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 11, as I have this paired up with Seder. And this is actually a lesser known Universal film. It isn't necessarily doing anything new. We have a good setting in an old dark mansion, and I like that this one's a bit more horrific than some of the ones I've seen in the past. The acting is solid to bring these characters to life. I would say the music and sound design are also fine to build the overall atmosphere. I don't necessarily think the comedy works all that well, and it really isn't following much of the Edgar Allan Poe short story that they're claiming. This is still worth a viewing if you want to see an early film that would lead into things like Gialli and that subgenre. Other than that, I would say this is an above average movie, just lacking things for me to go higher than that. So my rating here for The Black Cat from 1941 is going to be a 7 out of 10. And then at number 91, I have The Devil Commands. This is from 1941. This is directed by Edward Dimitrik. This comes from the screenplay by Robert Hardy Andrews, as well as Milton Gunsberg. And it looks like the novel The Edge of Running Water by William Sloan. This stars Boris Karloff, Anne Revere, and Amanda Duff. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being. Scientist becomes obsessed with the idea of communicating with his dead wife. So this one, if you want to hear a featured review, I'll direct you to episode number 79, which was Odyssey to the Ones number 7. I had this paired up with Separation. And what I'll say about this one, though, is that I enjoy the concept, but I'm also slightly disappointed that it didn't go further. I've seen quite a few of these mad scientist movies, and this one would have been one of the better ones in general. The acting is good, and there is some interesting science introduced. This is where I wish they would have taken the idea just a bit farther than what they did. This is early into cinema, so they probably didn't want to go too much farther, so ones after this really are the ones that should be bearing that burden. The other aspects, though, are good, which includes what effects were used, the cinematography being fine, and the soundtrack favoring what was needed. I'd say this is an above-average movie, and with a bit more added, could have been in that good range. So my rating here for The Devil Commands is going to be a 7 out of 10. And then kicking off my top 90 here, I have The Haunted Castle. Goes by the original title of Schloss Vogelud. This is from 1921. This is directed by F.W. Murnau. This is from the novella by Rudolf Strauss, and then Carl Mayer did the adaptation. Stars Arnold Karf, Lulu Kaiser Karf, and Lothar Menert. This is a crime drama horror mystery film that is from Germany. It is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd, with our synopsis here being, In the castle Vogelode, a few aristocrats are awaiting Baroness Safferstadt, but first Count Oshis invites himself. Everyone thinks he murdered his brother, Baroness Stafferson's first husband, three years ago, so he'd rather undesirable. But Oshoff stays, arguing that he's not the murderer, and they will find the real one. So, this one was a featured review on episode number 69. Nice. Of Centennial Club number 7 was that theme. This was paired up with The Night, and this kind of made for an interesting potential, like, haunted double feature type thing there. But for this movie here, 
I did like elements to the silent film. I think the story is interesting and the acting helps bring it to life. The setting of this is good and the atmosphere is built from it along with the soundtrack that is synced up. I did find it interesting as well as slightly boring though and I think that probably due to early cinema along with this being one of the first murder mysteries. Still worth a viewing to see some of what works from the great Marneau in my opinion but being a silent film that is 100 years old there are just some flaws still. I consider this to be above average movie still. So this one is also going to be rated a 7 out of 10 and that is The Haunted Castle from 1921. And then for my number 89th position is going to be one that's not necessarily a horror film, but I thought it was close enough, and that is Enter Nowhere. This is from 2011. This is a mystery sci-fi thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd. This is directed by Jack Heller. It was written between Sean Christensen and Jason Dolan, and it stars Catherine Waterston, Scott Eastwood, and Sarah Paxton. And that synopsis is, three strangers arrive one by one at a mysterious cabin in the middle of nowhere, only to learn that they've been brought together for a reason. So for this one here, if you want to hear a mini review, I have to direct you all the way back to episode number five which was my winter year-end number two, where I had Dead Snow 2, Red vs. Dead, and Satanic Panic as the two featured reviews. This is one of the mini reviews that were on there. And for this one, I said that this is an interesting mystery that I thought built to a good conclusion with an interesting pace. I never got bored with it, and even though I predicted two of the major reveals, I don't think that's a drawback. I think that the acting helps bring this to life, and really was just kind of part of the reason that I figured things out. The effects were fine aside from the CGI that was used. That was pretty laughable, if I'm going to be honest. The soundtrack doesn't stand out, but it fit for what was needed, as I didn't really notice it. I It didn't take me out of the film, though, either. And I would just say this is overall just above average. So this is the first bump in rating, though, as this Enter Nowhere is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then I'm next for you, coming in at my number 88th position is Fear Street Part 3, 1666. This is from 2021. This was directed by Lee Janiak, who also helped co-write this with Phil Graziaday and Kate Treefry. This stars Kiana Madria, Ashley Zuckerman, and Jillian Jacobs. This is a horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being The origins of Sarah Fear's curse are finally revealed as history comes full circle on a night that changes the lives of Shady Siders forever. This was a featured review. I've already kind of brought this one up on episode 107. This was Italian Horror number 11 as I paired this up with Leviathan. And for this one here, I don't like this one as well as the previous ones. But I'm glad that this one answered most of the questions that I had. This is an interesting trilogy of movies that do well in telling an overarching story with each one still being contained enough to enjoy. thought the acting was probably the strongest of the three. The effects were good for what we got and the cinematography helps there. Soundtrack also fit for what was needed. I liked exploring the idea of a witch and a curse while seeing what the truth of the matter is. This does run a bit long and I think going back to 94 to finish the story does bog this one down slightly. Regardless though, all these are worth your time and I'd recommend seeing them. I'd say this one was an above average movie, just missing out on being good. So my rating here for Fear Street Part 3, 1666 is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then for my number 87 position is going to be Spiral. This is from the Book of Saw. This is from 2021. 
This was directed by Darren Lynn Bowsman. It was written between Josh Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger. This stars Chris Rock, Samuel L. Jackson, and Max Mighella. This is a crime horror mystery thriller film that is a co-production between the United States and Canada. It is currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 2.3 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, A criminal mastermind unleashes a twisted form of justice in Spiral, the terrifying new chapter from the Book of Saw. So for this one here, this was a featured review on episode number 81, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 8, where I had Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 1941 synced up with this movie here. So I was glad that I saw this. For me, I did feel like the entire story of Jigsaw was told, and I like that they're doing a different take. There's a good mystery that worked for me, and it had me guessing until the end, but I guess I'm not as smart as some people because a lot of people predicted it. Thought the acting was good, though. The effects and traps were featured were solid. My only issue here is those kind of take a bit of a backseat. The soundtrack wasn't as strong as some in the series. Other than that, though, I thought we had more story here to tell. I thought this was an above-average movie. Not quite as good, but just hovering below that. If you like the Saw series, I would still recommend giving this one a viewing, as it's a decent movie in my opinion. So my rating here for Spiral is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. Then coming in at number 86 is The Deep House. This is from 2021. This was directed between Alexander Bastillo and Julian Mari, who also helped co-write this. And it looks like Rachel Parker was also credited with the collaboration. This stars Camila Rowe, James Jagger, and Eric Savin. This is a drama horror mystery thriller film that is a co-production between France and Belgium. It is currently sitting on a 5.4 on IMDb and a 2.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a young and modern couple who go to France to explore an underwater house and share their findings on social media undergoes a serious change of plans when the couple enters the interior of a strange house located at the bottom of a lake and their presence awakens a dark spirit that haunts the house. So for this movie here, if you'd like to hear in depth, it's a featured review on episode 112, which is my winter year end number 13. And I have that paired up with Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. But for this one here, I thought this was interesting. We have a generic ghost story that gets an added by the twist of being underwater. There is a slight Lovecraftian vibe to it. The acting is solid. I think it fits the characters and gives them life. I think how this is shot is interesting. The effects are good enough for what they needed. And the soundtrack adds an interesting atmosphere as well. Not a great movie by any stretch, but it is just lacking a bit for me. I'd say this is an above average one, just missing out on being good. And for this one, The Deep House, I have it at a 7.5 out of 10. And then up next, I have coming in at number 85 is Willy's Wonderland. This is from 2021. It was directed by Kevin Lewis, and the writer was Geo Parsons. It stars Nicolas Cage, Emily Tosta, and Beth Grant. This is an action, comedy, horror, thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 2.7 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, A quiet drifter is tricked into a janitorial job at the now-condemned Willy's Wonderland. The mundane tasks suddenly become an all-out fight for survival against wave after wave of dynamic animatronics. Fists fly, kicks land, titans clash, and the only one side will make it out alive. So if you want to hear a more deeper review, I would direct you over to a mini review that was done on episode 109. This was winter year end number 10, as I had Bloodbeat and Prisoners of the Ghostland as the two featured reviews, which is kind of interesting. That's a little bit of a cage double feature there. 
But for this one, it's a movie that I had a lot of fun with and it was more than I was expecting. We get a simple enough premise that worked. This movie feels like a video game mixed in with horror, supernatural, and even a bit of a western. I think that Cage plays his character perfectly. The idea is quite creepy to be honest. Thought the rest of the acting around him was fine. The effects I'd say were good. Cinematography was as well. The soundtrack was on point for what they needed. I enjoyed this quite a bit. I'd say this is an above average movie. If you want to shut off your brain type thing, which I recommend to horror and non-horror fans alike, this is something wild and just fun. So my rating here for Willy's Wonderland is a 7.5 out of 10. And then coming in at my 84th position is Old. This is from 2021. This was directed by M. Night Shyamalan, who also wrote this for the screen, and it's based upon the graphic novel Sandcastle by Pierre-Oscar Levy and Frederick Peters. This is starring Gail Garcia Bernal, Vicky Cripps, and Rufus Sewell. This is a drama horror mystery thriller film that is a co-production between the United States, Japan, and China. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 2.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a vacationing family discovers that the secluded beach where they're relaxing for a few hours is somehow causing them to age rapidly, reducing their entire lives into a single day. So this one, if you'd like to hear a mini review, this is back in episode 91, which was Odyssey of the Ones number 18, which I had Lucky and the Spell of Amy Nugent as the two featured reviews over there. But for this one here, I thought that... Shyamalan is back on track for me. There is an interesting premise here, and I think we are given just enough to explain it without going too far. I like seeing the struggle of our characters on this beach and how things play out. I will admit, though, there is social commentary here that feels a bit forced in at the end, and I didn't love that. The acting was solid across the board. Cinematography was well done. And there's only a minute bit of CGI that didn't sit well with me. This is an above average one overall. Not the greatest movie out there, but I did enjoy it still. So my rating here for old is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. Then coming at number 83 is a movie that I actually just recently gave a rewatch to, and that is Ultrasound. This is technically from 2021. This is directed by Rob Schroeder. It was written by Connor Stetschel, who looks like they did the graphic novel Generous Bosom. This stars Vincent Kartheiser, Chelsea Lopez, and Brita Wool. This is a drama mystery sci-fi film that I consider to go into horror enough. That is from the United States. It is sitting on a 5.7 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being. After his car breaks down, Glenn spends one hell of an odd night with a married couple setting into motion a chain of events that alter their lives plus those of several random strangers. So I'm going to be very brief with this one because I have just recently covered this. If you want to hear more, there's a mini review on episode 124, which was Centennial Club number 10 featuring Slapface and the Headless Horseman from 1922. And then this also was on the very last episode. So I'm going to direct you both those places, but this is where this movie is coming in at this time. And that is at a 7.5 as well. And at number 82, I have the Advent Calendar. This is from 2021. It goes by the original title of Lee Calendere. This is written and directed by Patrick Reed-Ramont. This stars Eugenie Durand, Harani Maganier, and Clemente Alaveri. This is a horror thriller that is a co-production between France and Belgium. This is currently sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being. Eva is a paraplegic. On her birthday, her friend Sophie gives her a strange advent calendar. It's not the traditional treats you would find when you open each drawer, but quirky gifts that are scary and get bloodier. So for this movie here, if you'd like to hear a feed 
actually a mini review. This is going to be on episode 112, which was Winter Year End 13. This one had the Deep House and Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 initiation. This was one of the mini reviews over there. And then, so for this one, it's an interesting Christmas horror movie. Outside of the calendar, we aren't getting a lot of those elements, but I'm wondering if part of this is being from France and Belgium. Watching this as an American could be why. Regardless, I like the cursed object and the entity behind it. We don't learn a lot about it, and we don't necessarily need to either. We get an interesting ending. The acting from Durand was good as our lead. I think the rest of the cast pushes her to where she ends up. The effects and cinematography were good. I also thought that the soundtrack and design helped to build the atmosphere. For me, this is an above-average movie, just missing out on being good, and I do want to revisit this one for sure. So my rating here for the Advent Calendar is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then for movie 81 is going to be Wrong Turn, the one from 2021. This was directed by Mike P. Nelson. It was written by Alan B. McElroy. This stars Charlotte Vega, Aiden Bradley, and Bill Sage. This is a horror thriller that is a co-production between the United States and Germany. It is currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, Friends hiking the Appalachian Trail are confronted by the Foundation, a community of people who have lived in the mountains for hundreds of years. So, this is one that I did a featured review on episode number 76, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 4, paired this up with Drums of Jeopardy. And then I also gave this a mini review on episode 111, which was my winter year-end 12, which featured The Last Winter and The Blazing World. So, for this one here, I think this movie does things well. I'm a fan of different takes on a series with the reboot. I even think the interesting duality between the two groups of characters work and the social commentary from it. With how good the setup was for me, I think the movie just runs too long and I lose interest a bit. As someone who likes commentary, I originally thought it was too heavy-handed, but after that second viewing, I think the message works. Again, though, it isn't horrible by any stretch. I would also give credit to the cinematography, the practical effects, and the soundtrack. After the second viewing, it's come up to being above average and just missed out on being good for me. And I almost think this might have been benefited better by not being called wrong turn, but that's neither here nor there. So my rating for it from here in 2021, or I guess from last year in 2021, is a 7.5 out of 10. Then to kick off my top 80, I start with Halloween Kills from 2021. This is directed by David Gordon Green, based on characters created by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill. Screenplay was written by Scott Teams. This stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Judy Greer, and Addie Manichak. This is a horror thriller that is from the United States. Currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being surviving victims of Michael Myers form a vigilante mob and vow to end his reign of terror after they discover that he is still alive. So for this one here, this is actually a bonus episode that I covered this, which was Halloween 1978, 2018, and Kills that I did with my wife as she had never seen really any of these from my understanding. So I had heard mixed things coming in. And went to see this and enjoyed my time. It won't be for everyone, though. If you want a slasher sequel that amps up the blood and brutality, see this one. The dialogue isn't great, but there are some bad decisions that are made as well. But to be honest, the movie feels grounded with some of these things. The soundtrack works for what the movie needed, and we get some solid cinematography. After this initial viewing, I enjoyed it more than I did the previous one. I'm wondering how this one will hold up for me, as I haven't given it that second viewing yet. And I'm also kind of curious with Halloween Ends, how all this will kind of, you know, mesh together and everything. But my rating for Halloween Kills is a 7.5 out of 10. And then coming at number 79 is VHS 94. This is from 2021. 
This one has quite a few people that are involved. I'm just going to give you some of them. We have Simon Barrett, Stephen Kostansky, Chloe Okuno. Some of the writers are Jennifer Reeder, Chloe Okuno, and Simon Barrett. This stars Anna Hopkins, Christian Potenza, and Brian Paul. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. It's also an anthology, so that's why it's a little bit more complicated. This is sitting on a 5.4 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a police SWAT team investigates about a mysterious VHS tape and discovers a sinister cult that has pre-recorded material which uncovers a nightmarish conspiracy. So for this one, this was a featured review on episode 108, which was Italian Horror number 12, as I paired this up with Spirits of the Dead. And so for this one here, it's a solid anthology. None of the stories are great, but what I will give credit is that none of them were bad either. If I have to choose, I'd probably give it to Terror or The Empty Wake as my favorites. The acting is good across the board. The effects were as well, but there are some issues with some CGI. Cinematography is good, and I'd say the soundtrack works. They do some good things with the sound design that I also enjoyed. Overall, I'd say this above average and just missing out on being good. My rating here for VHS 94 is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. The number 78 is going to be King of the Zombies. This is from 1941, directed by Gene Yarbrough, written by Edmund Kelso, stars Dick Purcell, Joan Woodbury, and Mayton Moreland. This is only listed as a venture on IMDb, but this is also a horror film. This is from the United States. Currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 2.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being On a spooky island, three stranded travelers find an evil doctor working with foreign spies and in control of zombies. So this was a featured review on episode 82, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 9. I had this actually a zombie double feature paired up with Army of the Dead. And I would say that I enjoyed this. This is taking a subtle shot at Nazi Germany without going too far. I like combining that element with voodoo and even the old dark house. It makes for some interesting situations and a setting here. I'd say that the acting for the most part is solid. Soundtrack fit for what was needed. I was shocked to see that this was up for awards though. There are some racist things here and a bit of sexism. It doesn't sit too well, but it, it's the era so it's hard for me to fully judge that. I also think that due to censors, some things were done in order to pass that were a bit too cliched for the Hollywood ending. Despite my issues, I think this is an above-average movie. Some of my problems are just knocking it out of being that good category. So my rating here for King of the Zombies is a 7.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number 77 is going to be You're Not My Mother. This is from 2021. This was directed by Kate Dolan, who also wrote this. This stars Hazel Dope, Paul Reed, and Katie White. This is a drama horror film that is from Ireland. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being in a North Dublin housing estate, Char's mother goes missing. When she returns, Char is determined to uncover the truth of her disappearance and unearth the dark secrets of her family. So this is one that's actually kind of interesting. This was on episode 126 as a featured review for my truck of the twos and this was paired up with freaks from 1932 but the reason for that is this movie got its wide release in 2022 but it's technically a 2021 film so this could potentially also be on my year-end list just as a potential heads up there but with that taken care of this is a solid movie we are getting an interesting character study of char where home life and school aren't the easiest it is incorporating potentially a creature as well. It is one that I've seen more of in recent years, which I don't mind what they do here with allowing us as a viewer to determine what we're getting. 
The acting is good. The effects were solid, both practical and CGI. Thought this was shot well, as it does help to hide some of the things. Soundtrack doesn't necessarily stand out, but the sound design helps with the atmosphere. For me, I'd say it's an above-average movie, flirting with being good, and it's one that I do plan on revisiting. So if this pops up as a mini review once again on an episode, just you know that's why. So my rating here for You Are Not My Mother is a 7.5 out of 10 after that first viewing. And the last movie for this section here, coming in at number 76, is The Omega Man from 1971. This is directed by Boris Sagal. The screenplay was written between John William Corrington and Joyce Hooper Corrington. This is from the novel by Richard Matheson of I Am Legend. Stars Charlton Heston, Anthony Zerba, and Rosalind Cash. This is an action, drama, sci-fi, thriller film that I also consider to be horror from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, Biological war has decimated life on Earth. Los Angeles is a windswept ghost town where Robert Neville tools his convertible through sunlit streets foraging for supplies. So I remember watching this one a lot growing up. If you want to hear a little bit more of a mini review, I would direct you to episode number 77, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 5. Featured reviews there are Honeydew and The Phantom. But for this one here then... I think it's an interesting adaptation of the source material. If you are looking for something faithful, I would avoid this. We are getting something more of the times of the 70s where cults and religion were something that were being explored a lot. I do like our taking our creature and just making them religious zealots who feel humanity is being punished. Heston feels like he's playing himself, but it works. The rest of the cast is solid. The effects and soundtrack are mostly positive for me as well. I see this as an above-average movie. It isn't great, but I'm giving a nostalgia bump as well as enjoying social commentary with seeing this during the pandemic. So my rating here for The Omega Man is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. What I'm going to go ahead and do, though, is rest my voice a bit before I get back in as I start working towards the top 50. Welcome back, and then to kick off my top 75, we'll be starting with Night Tide. This is from 1961. This is directed by Curtis Harrington, who also wrote the screenplay. This stars Dennis Hopper, Linda Lawson, and Gavin Muir. This is a drama, horror, romance, thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being... A young sailor falls in love with a mysterious woman performing as a mermaid at the local carnival. He soon comes to suspect the girl might be a real mermaid who draws men to a watery death during the full moon. So for this one, if you want to hear a mini review, I have this on episode 110, which was winter year on number 11, as I had featured reviews of Gaia and Windchill over there. But for this one is an interesting movie. I didn't necessarily know what we were going to get here, but I think this captures an interesting story. We have two characters who feel alone, finding each other, and forces around them influence their lives. I like the story giving enough to make you wonder what is real and what isn't. The acting for that is good. The supporting cast is well in shaping and pushing them. We don't need a lot for effects. The cinematography is well done, and the soundtrack works for that feel of the movie that it needs. I'd say for me this is an interesting one. It works well for what it's trying to do. So my rating for Night Tide is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then at position number 74 is going to be Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. This is from 1981, directed by Frank D. Folletta. The teleplay was written by J.D. Feigelson, and then the story by Butler Hancock. This stars Charles Durning, Robert F. Lyons, and Claude Earl Jones. 
This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, In a small southern town, four vigilantes wrongfully execute a mentally challenged man, but after the court sets them free, mysterious accidents begin to kill them off one by one. So for this movie here, if you want to hear a mini review, this was back on episode 102, which is my Odyssey Through the Ones number 27, and that one had The Pit and the Pendulum from 1961 and Titane as the two featured reviews over there. But for this movie here, I recommend this one. This is back when Made for Television was still high quality. I think we're seeing a little bit of that again, but I was impressed with this one. This is a fun revenge flick that takes place in a country town and something we could see even happening done today. The acting of the film was solid, the editing was well done, and the little effects that we get were also solid. The score helps set the scenes and build tension. If you want to see an above-average revenge horror film, I would recommend giving this one a viewing. So my rating here for Dark Knight of the Scarecrow is going to be a 7.5 out of 10 as well. And then coming in at number 73 is Omen 3, The Final Conflict. This is directed by Graham Baker. This is written by Andrew Birkin and based on characters created by David Seltzer. This stars Sam Neill, Rossano Brazi, and Don Gordon. This is a horror film that is from a co-production of the United Kingdom and United States. This is sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, The now adult Antichrist plots to eliminate his future divine opponent while a cabal of monks plot to stop him. So for this movie here, I did a mini-review back on episode number 23, long ways ago, which was Centennial Club number 6, as that one actually had one of the versions of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1920, and that was paired up with Extraordinary. This was a mini-review on that episode, though. But for this movie here is... I'm glad I had given this original trilogy a rewatch after all these years. They're interesting movies with a lot to delve into. I like Sam Neill taking on the character of Damien now that he fully knows who he is and what he's here to do. There's a lot to delve into this movie with the religious aspects for sure. Even though this is the longest of the three, I think it needs it to flesh out what they're going for. There are some problems and I have a slight issue including with the soundtrack. The effects were solid and the rest of the acting was good. I would say this is an above average movie. You can watch this alone as it does give you enough backstory to enjoy, but I recommend it as a series to get the full story of what we got and where Damien ends up and how we got here. So my rating for Omen 3, The Final Conflict, is a 7.5 out of 10. And then for number 72, I have The Power. This is from 2021. This is written and directed by Karina Faith. This stars Mark Smith, Marley Chesham, and Rose Williams. This is a drama fantasy horror thriller mystery film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, In 1974, a young nurse is forced to work the night shift in a crumbling hospital as striking miners switch off the power across Britain, but inside the walls lurks a terrifying presence that threatens to consume her and everyone around her. So this movie here was a featured review on episode 89, which was Odyssey to the Ones number 16. I had this paired up with The Ghost Train. I think these are both from the UK, so that kind of made for an interesting double feature there. But I think this movie does some interesting things. We have a setting that I like, and the real history of the event adds to the ambiance. I think that William's performance as Val was good with the rest of the cast and support. The concept and premise are solid, but I do have to admit... They are something that we've seen many times before. I thought it was shot well and the effects work. Aside from that, the soundtrack fit for what was needed without standing out too much for me. 
I would say this is an above average movie. It is worth a watch in my opinion, as I said, because it ticks a lot of boxes for me. So if you have similar tastes as I do, I think you'll at least enjoy this well enough. So my rating for The Power is a 7.5 out of 10. And then for my number 71st film is going to be Hellbender. This is from 2021. This was co-written and directed by John Adams, Zelda Adams, and Toby Poser. And then Zelda and Toby also star in this with Lulu Adams. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, A lonely teen discovers her family's ties to witchcraft. So for this movie here, I did a featured review on episode 128. This was Trek to the Twos number three. This is another one that got technically released in 2021, but got its wide release here this year. So this is another one that you potentially could be hearing again. And on that episode, I also have it paired up with White Zombie as the double feature there. So for this movie though, I was, I dug it. I'm glad that I listened to people that were recommending it. We get a story that isn't most complex, but it is a character study that worked. The acting from Zelda Adams is good. I think she plays well off of Poser. The rest of the cast push Izzy as well as her mother to where they end up. I think the cinematography is great. The soundtrack was close there as well. They both worked to set the tone of this movie. If I have any issue, it would only be with the CGI. That doesn't ruin this though. I would say that after this viewing, this is an above average movie that is just missing out on being good. I would recommend it, and this is, as I was saying, one that I'm going to try to check out as well once more. So my rating here for Hellbender is a 7.5 out of 10. And then to start off my top 70, I have The Last Thing Mary Saw. This is from 2021 as well. This is written and directed by Eduardo Vitaletti. This stars Stephanie Scott, Daniel Pierce, and Philip Hoffman. This is a drama horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being Winter, 1843. A young woman is under investigation following the mysterious death of her family's matriarch. Her recollection of the events sheds new light on the ageless forces behind the tragedy. Now, this is one that I did a featured review on episode 118, which was Women Appreciation number 5, and I paired this up with Ghost Stories. But this is another one that I actually did a mini review as well, much more recently, on episode 143, which was Trek to the Twos number 17. That one was Night Monster and Nope, as the reason is this is another one that got its wide release here this year. But for this movie here, I would have to say that it's solid, and I'm glad that I saw it. I think we have an interesting time for it to take place. The idea of forbidden love is something that is still relevant today. Setting it in a time where you have this hyper-religious family is good. I thought that the acting was solid to bring the characters to life. Being that there is a supernatural or a normal way of looking at the events is good. The effect and cinematography both are used well. The soundtrack fit for what was needed. I thought this was good the first time I saw it. Upon a revisit, I think it's still a solid effort. I've come down on my rating though just ever so slightly. My rating, though, for this one after that watch was a 7.5, and that is for the last thing Mary saw. And then on to movie number 69 on this list. Nice. That is The Innkeepers. This is from 2011. This was written and directed by Ty West. It stars Sarah Paxton, Pat Healy, and Kelly McGillis. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. 
It is currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, during the final days at the Yankee Peddler Inn, two employees determined to reveal the hotel's haunted past begin to experience disturbing events as old guests check in for a stay. Now here for this movie, I did a mini review back on episode number 92, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 19, as there's actually kind of a lot of ghost stuff on there, as I have Old Mother Riley's Ghost and A Ghost Waits as the two featured reviews over there. And for this movie, it is one that after a few viewings, I can finally say I've come around to it. It won't be for everyone. This is a slow burn haunted house film. What also makes it great is that it can be read that this isn't haunted because the only person who sees anything is Claire. I like how this builds and where it ends. The payoff, though, isn't as great as some of Wes's other movies. The acting in this is solid. The effects are as well. The editing is intentionally slow to build atmosphere. I also thought the score helps the mood and to build tension. I feel like this is an above average one. If you are a fan of the genre, I would definitely give this a viewing. So my rating for The Innkeepers is a 7.5 out of 10. And then coming at number 68 on this list is The Innocence. This goes by the original title of D. Uskilage. And then this is written and directed by Iskil Vogt. This stars Raquel Lenora Flatum, Alva Brinsmo Radzma, and Sam Rossoff. This is a drama fantasy horror mystery thriller that is a co-production between Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, France, and the United Kingdom. This is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, During the bright Nordic summer, a group of children reveal their dark and mysterious powers when the adults aren't looking. In this original and gripping supernatural thriller, playtime takes a dangerous turn. So for this one, if you want to hear a featured review, this is on episode 133, which was Trek to the Two's number 7, as I had paired this up with the Death Kiss as the two ones over there. So, but for this one here... I thought this looked good, but I was still leery about seeing it. I'm glad that I watched it, though, as we have a group of children that are different while also having things in common. I'd say the acting from them is good. The rest of the cast is solid in support. We don't get a lot in the way of effects, which you would expect, but what we do are good. I had no issues there. Other than that, I'd say that the rest of the filmmaking aspects are well done, especially the cinematography. I think it's an above-average movie that's just below being good. I'm curious to see where this sits, as this is another one that you might end up hearing here soon. Another thing as well I should probably bring up is that this is a 2021 film, but it's got its wide release here in this year. So it will be one that I will be revisiting for my 2022 year-end list. So my rating here for The Innocence is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then number 67 on the list is going to be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1941. This was directed by Victor Fleming. It comes from the screenplay written by John Lee Mahan, based on the novella by Robert Louis Stevenson, and then also based on the earlier screenplay from Percy Heath, who did the 1931 screenplay. This stars Spencer Tracy, Ingrid Bergman, and Lana Turner. This is a drama, horror, sci-fi thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.8 on IMDb. And a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the snaps being Dr. Jekyll allows his dark side to run wild when he drinks a potion that turns him into the evil Mr. Hyde. So this one, if you want to hear a featured review, is going to be episode 81, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 8, as I actually had this paired up with Spiral. And then for this one here is that I did like this version of the story. What carries this is the cast. It is strong across the board with Tracy and Bergman leading the headline. 
I like that they did for the effects for the most part and the cinematography was solid. This follows the story pretty well from what I remember and does a bit repetitive having seen so many versions of the story in recent memory of writing this review. So that might be affected in the rating so I might end up having to come back to this at a different time. It does run a bit too long. Regardless, the filmmaking here is, you know, what sets us apart from the others that I've seen, especially earlier ones. This is an above average movie that is just lacking for me to go in that good range. Just keep in mind this is black and white, so if that's a problem, I would avoid this, but I think this is a solid adaptation of the source material. My rating here on this one as well is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And then coming at number 66 is going to be Absentia. This is from 2011. This was written and directed by Mike Flanagan. It stars Katie Parker, Courtney Bell, and Dave Levine. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a woman and her sister begin to link a mysterious tunnel to a series of disappearances, including that of her own husband. For this one here, if you'd like to hear a mini review on it, it's going to be episode 92. That was Odyssey to the Ones number 19 that featured Old Mother Riley's Ghost and a Ghost Waits. And then for this one here, I was finally glad I could take this off my list. This is interesting early Flanagan movie here. Updating the concept of the three Billy Goats gruff with a different take on it was good. I like the backstory that is discovered for this area and how things play out there. Acting is good across the board. This is shot very well and even though I have some slight issues with the effects, it isn't enough to ruin anything. Aside from that, the soundtrack fit for what was needed. I'd say this is an above average movie. I wouldn't be surprised if this goes up now after I've seen it this first time and I do need to revisit this one. I've only gave it that one watch. My rating here for the Absentia, though, after that, is going to be a 7.5 out of 10. And at the number 65th position is going to be Take Shelter. This was written and directed by Jeff Nichols. It stars Michael Shannon, Jessica Chastain, and Shay Wiggum. This is a drama sci-fi thriller film that I also consider to go enough into horror. This is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.3 on IMDb. And a 3.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being plagued by a series of apocalyptic visions. A young husband and father questions whether to shelter his family from a coming storm or from himself. So this is one here that I did a mini review back on episode number 91, which was Odyssey to the Ones number 18, featuring Lucky and the Spell of Amy Nugent as the featured reviews. And for this movie here... This is a solid movie overall. I like the concept of a normal man like Curtis who is ascending into madness when he starts having nightmares that are all too real feeling and starting to hallucinate. There's a history of mental illness in his family, so that fear makes it even worse. The acting is good across the board. I like how this movie is shot and the soundtrack helps to build atmosphere that is needed. CGI doesn't look great, but what it's used for makes sense and I give it a pass. We are getting a slow burn. This could be a turnoff to some people, so be warned before coming in. This is one that's above average after that first viewing, and I think if it could have been sped up slightly, it would have come in higher then, but my rating is a 7.5 out of 10. This is another one that I'm looking forward to revisiting because it is such an interesting story and making you question what is real and what's not. So that is Take Shelter from 2011. And then coming in at number 64 is The Abominable Dr. Fibes. This is from 1971, directed by Robert Foist. This is written by James Whitten and William Goldstein. Stars Vincent Price, Joseph Cotton, and Virginia North. This is a comedy horror film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 7.1 on IMDb. And a 3.7 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being Doctor, Scientist, Organist, and Biblical Scholar Anton Five seeks revenge on the nine doctors he considers responsible for the death of his wife. 
This is a movie that was a mini-review on episode 100, which was Journey Through the Aughts. This is actually one that I've seen a couple of times now, just for different times, and this one, I feel like, keeps coming up every time I watch it, though. And I'm actually glad that I've given it multiple watches. I probably appreciate it the most after this most recent viewing. The concept of premise of this are great. I'd also go as far to say it influences things that we see even today with stuff like Saw. I did have a problem with the comedy as it hurts the tone for me. The acting is good across the board. The effects aside from one bit were also solid and the cinematography also worked. I would give credit to the soundtrack. For me, this is an above average movie. What doesn't work and what brings it down for me is the comedy itself. If they play this straighter and focus more on the horror, I think we have a good movie. So my rating for the Abominable Dr. Fives is a 7.5 out of 10. And then 63rd is Daughters of Darkness. This goes by the original title of Les Reves Rouge. This is directed by Harry Kumel. The scenario was written between Pierre Drummond and Kumel. And then it looks like Jean Ferry did the dialogue. This stars Delphine Seyrig, Jean Carland, and Danielle Omet. This is a horror film that is a co-production between Belgium, France, West Germany, United States, and Canada. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, while passing through a vacation resort, a newlywed couple encounters a mysterious, strikingly beautiful countess and her aide. So for this movie here, this was a mini review on episode number 75, which was my top 25 horror movie starting with B and then the bottom 10 starting with B as well. And this one I actually watched the first time in the theater with Fright Club podcast and then gave it a rewatch for this mini review here on that episode as this is one that I think is has its place even though it's slightly flawed. The concept is solid but the deeper allegory of what we're seeing is interesting. The acting helps bring this to life. There's a bit of pacing issues for me and I really didn't care for the ending as I thought it was a bit cheesy. The effects were solid and the soundtrack helps to enhance the scenes. I do think this film is above average and would recommend giving it a viewing. I will warn you, this is a co-production from the 1970s, so that's an issue I would, you know, avoid this one. If not, this is a, you know, kind of a beautiful movie that I have sitting at a 7.5 out of 10, and that is Daughters of Darkness. And then for my 62nd position is going to be another Hammer film, and that is The Curse of the Werewolf. This is from 1961. This is directed by Terrence Fisher. It was written by Anthony Hines. The novel was The Werewolf of Paris by Guy Endor. This stars Clifford Evans, Oliver Reed, and Yvonne Romain. This is a horror film that is from the United Kingdom. This is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being in 18th century Spain, an adopted boy becomes a werewolf and terrorizes the inhabitants of his town. So for this one here, this was a mini review back in episode number 67, which was my black directed and or starring ones where I had the Queen of Black Magic from 2019 and I had that paired up with Sugar Hill from 1974. For this movie here, I actually saw this when I started getting into Hammer films and I gave it a rewatch and I think this is an interesting concept and backstory. The only real problem is this movie limits itself by having this werewolf be the last third or so. What they build to though is aided by good acting, especially from Oliver Reed, who I'm a huge fan of. The rest of the cast rounded this out for what was needed. The effects were well done and the soundtrack fit for what was needed. Hammer does an excellent job with the sets to feel like the era of the past that it's set as well. I would say this is an above average movie, also going into the range of being good. The movie is just lacking a bit for me to put it there. So my rating here for The Curse of the Werewolf is going to be a 7.5 out of 10.
And in my 61st position is going to be a classic here of Dracula. This is the one from 1931. Directed by Todd Browning, and it looks like uncredited help by Carl Freund. This is from the novel by Bram Stoker, the play adapted by Hamilton Dean, and then as well as John L. Balderston. This stars Bella Lugosi, Helen Chandler, and David Manners. This is a drama fantasy horror film that is from the United States. This is also the universal one, if you couldn't tell. This is a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being... Transylvanian vampire Count Dracula bends a naive real estate agent to his will and then takes up residence at a London estate where he sleeps in his coffin by day and searches for potential victims by night. So this is one that I seen a few times now and the last time here was a mini review on episode 62 which was new year new me number four that was featuring Hell House LLC 2 and 3 the Abaddon Hotel and Lake of Fire and for this movie here is that it helped kick off the Universal Monster films back when the horror genre was taken from great literature. I enjoy this, but I feel the story could have benefited from a subplot or two to help bolster the story or even just include more aspects from the novel. I understand those early in cinema, so that's a bit of it. The acting was good. The effects aren't great, but I have a soft spot for the era that they were from. The editing builds tension, but the issue is the basic story affects the tension. The score is solid as well. I do have to warn you that this is black and white, being from the 1930s. If that's an issue, I would avoid this, but if that's not a problem, I would recommend viewing as this is a classic and a good film. And I have Dracula from 1931 as a 7.5 out of 10. And then to start the 60s here, I have Frankenstein. This is from 1931. This was directed by James Whale. It comes from the composition by John Balderston. And then the novel from Mary Shelley. And then it's adapted by the play from Peggy Wembley. This stars Colin Clive, Mae Clark, and Boris Karloff. This is a drama horror sci-fi thriller that is from the United States. Another one of the universal ones here. This is currently sitting on a 7.8 on IMDb and a 3.9 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being Dr. Frankenstein dares to tamper with life and death by creating a human monster out of lifeless body parts. So for this one here, I did a mini review back on episode number 63, which is New Year, New Me number 5, which I had hunted and cruising on there. So this is one that I've seen a handful of times. I'm pretty sure I've seen this in actually in the theater, same with Dracula previously. And this is definitely a classic. I like the story and think that it's actually quite relevant today. The acting helps to bring this to life. The film could have done with a subplot or two to possibly deepen the story or just even include what was cut from the source material. I think the pacing of this builds tension to a satisfying climax and conclusion. There wasn't much in the way of effects, but it's just early into the era, so it's also that. Now, the soundtrack is fitting for what was needed, but doesn't necessarily stand out. I don't love this one, but I do recognize that's a classic. I still feel like this is an above average, just lacking for me to put it into that good category. So my rating here for Frankenstein from 1931 is also a 7.5 out of 10. And then at number 59, I have Fear Street Part 2, 1978. This is from 2021. This was directed by Lee Janik. And then the screenplay was written between Zach Olawinsk, Janik, and Phil Graziade. Now this stars Sadie Sink, Emily Rudd, and Ryan Simpkins. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb. And a... 
3.5 on Letterbox with the snobs being Shady Side 1978. School is out for the summer and activities at Camp Nightwing are about to begin. But when another Shady Sider is possessed with the urge to kill, the fun in the sun becomes a gruesome fight for survival. So this one here, if you want to hear a featured review, is episode 106, which was Italian Horror number 10. I actually had this paired up for Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have a Key. And for this movie here, my favorite of the trio... And I'm glad that I stuck with seeing this as I enjoyed this one more than the first one. It is building off the story that we established in the previous one and we have a good setting at summer camp and have this killer picking off campers. There's a bigger plot here with the rich that I like. I just have some minor issues with the story. The third movie could potentially resolve this and it did, I will say that. The acting was solid, the effects were good, and a bit of a hiccup with the CGI, but that is what it is. The soundtrack is a bit too in your face for establishing the era, but I also dig what they're doing with it a bit. For me, this is a good movie and would recommend giving it a viewing if you like slasher films. So, I will tell you that this is the first bump in rating that I had in a while here as I have Fear Street Part 2, 1978 as an 8 out of 10. And then coming in at number 58, I have The Unholy. This is from 2021 as well. This was directed by Evan Spitolopoulos. And this was written by the screenplay for by them as well as James Herbert. This stars Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Cricket Brown, and William Sadler drama horror mystery film that is from the united states it is currently sitting on a 5.1 on imdb and a 2.0 on letterbox with a synopsis being a hearing impaired girl is visited by the virgin mary and can suddenly hear speak and heal the sick as people flock to witness her miracles terrifying events unfold are they the work of the virgin mary or something more sinister so this movie might be a little bit out of place. I will say that. I had this as a mini review on episode 75, which was my top 25 horror movies starting with B and then the bottom 10 as well. So for this one, I haven't gotten it a rewatch yet. I like this though. Seeing the score on IMDb and hearing the paint by numbers for this movie like this, I can see that. I'll probably be higher than most due to the social commentary and what I take from it. I think the concept is interesting. The acting was good in my opinion. The effects I'm positive on for the most part. And I would say that the same for the soundtrack and design as well. But I will say is I don't think everyone will enjoy this as much as I did. For me, this was a good movie. And would recommend this if you were a fan of the subgenre. This is another one that I needed to revisit and see where I sit on a second viewing. I think this will fall. But since this last time that I watched it and the only time that I watched it, I have it as an 8 out of 10 and that is for The Unholy. And then at number 57 is The Blazing World. This is from 2021. This was directed by Carlson Young, who also co-wrote this with Pierce Brown and Young also stars with Udo Kier and Dermot Moroni. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.4 on IMDb and a 2.4 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being... Decades after the accidental drowning of her twin sister, a self-destructive young woman returns to her family home, finding herself drawn to an alternate dimension where her sister may still be alive. So this is one that I did a featured review on episode 111, which was winter year end number 12, as I paired this up with the last winter. And this is one that I might also be a bit high on, but I thought this was interesting. This plays as an art house movie. We have an interesting allegory about grief and depression that plays out like a fairy tale. I think the acting is great from our four leads with the rest of the cast there to push them where they need to. Cinematography is beautiful, as was the soundtrack, which is great in setting the mood for this. If there's a drawback, there are some things that I don't fully understand. Another viewing will be needed, and the effects aren't always great either. I do think this is better than the score on the IMDb. It won't be for everyone, but I found this to be interesting for sure. 
So after the one viewing of the Blazing World, I have this as an 8 out of 10. I would be curious as to where my rating would fall after that second viewing, which I do need to give to this one. And then coming in at number 56, I have a classic horror story. This is from 2021. This was co-directed between Roberto Di Feo and Paolo Strapoli. And they also helped co-write this with Lucio Bassana. This stars Matilda, Anna Ingrid Lutz, Francisco Russo, and Papino Mazzara. This is a drama horror mystery thriller film that is from Italy. It is currently sitting on a 5.7 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being in this gruesome suspense film. Strangers traveling in southern Italy become stranded in the woods where they must fight desperately to get out alive. So this was a featured review on episode 99, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 25. I had this paired up with Death is a Number. That was an also interesting little film there. But I think this is a solid film. We have an interesting folk horror that is has a different twist on it. I'll admit, I'm not the biggest fan of where it ends up, but I still enjoyed it. There are meta aspects as well, which I appreciate. The acting was good along with the effects and the cinematography. I think the soundtrack helps to build the atmosphere, and that's kind of what they needed. I don't think this is a great movie, but I think it works well for what was needed. This is good. This is probably the highest I'll ever go for it. I do need to revisit this one just to kind of see where I will fall on that second viewing. So my rating here for a classic horror story is an 8 out of 10. And then for my 55th film is going to be Werewolves Within. This is directed by Josh Rubin. It was written by Mishnah Wolf. This stars Sam Richardson, Miliana Vantrub, and George Basil. This is a comedy horror mystery film that is from a co-production of the United States and France. This is currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being feature adaptation of the video game where werewolves attack a small town. So this is one that was a featured view on episode number 87, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 14, and I had this paired up with the monster and the girl. Kind of an interesting little double feature there that worked pretty well. And for this movie here is a fun comedy horror movie. I do mean in that order. I think the concept is interesting and how the story plays out worked for me. The acting helps to drive this movie and the effects that go with it work as well. I also think the setting adds to the tension, especially with the stress mounts and the characters start to panic. As, I mean, they get snowed in and everything like that and can't get out. And there's no power. I just want to say that the soundtrack and design of this worked in its favor. I think this is a good movie. And this is one that I would recommend to horror and non-horror fans alike. Almost comes to be down like a Agatha Christie type story with how things play out as well. So my rating here for Werewolves Within is an 8 out of 10. And then at position 54, I have Candyman. This is the one from 2021. This is directed by Nia DaCosta. The screenplay was co-written by her along with Jordan Peele, Wynne Rosenfeld, and Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, as well as Tiana Prince and Nathan Stewart Jarrett. This is a horror thriller that is a co-production between Canada and the United States. Currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a sequel to the horror film Candyman Nights 92 that returns to the now gentrified Chicago neighborhood where the legend began. Interestingly enough, this was a bonus episode that I did where I covered the original Candyman as well as this one with my wife as she had never seen either of them. So we sat down and watched them pretty much back to back with the, you know, this remake here in the theater. And I wasn't sure what we were going to get. I had heard mixed reviews, and I like to judge for myself. I think we have an interesting follow-up to the original. There are some parts of the story that don't work for me, but I can get past that. I like the social commentary. The acting brings the characters to life. I think the lore they build on for Candyman is good. 
The effects and cinematography are also solid for the most part. I have some minor issues with my preferences. The soundtrack is good. For me, I'd say this is a good movie. My goal is to revisit this one as I've only given it that one view and I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before my year end, but this is on the docket to give it a watch at some point again as well. So my rating here for Candyman 2021 is an 8 out of 10. And then at spot 53, I have Antlers from 2021, directed by Scott Cooper, who also wrote the screenplay with Henry Chison and Nick Antacosta. This was starring Carrie Russell, Jesse Plemons, and Jeremy T. Thomas. This is a drama horror mystery film that is a co-production between Mexico and the United States. This is currently sitting on a 5.9 on IMDb and a 2.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, in an isolated Oregon town, a middle school teacher and her sheriff brother become embroiled with her enigmatic student whose dark secrets lead to terrifying encounters with ancestral creatures. So this is a mini review on episode 106, Italian Horror Number 10, which featured Fear Street Part 2, 1978, and Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. This is a solid movie. I think it is exploring the idea of trauma and how it can affect people. It's interesting the duality that Julia is dealing with these ideas and then see something similar happening to Lucas and wanting to prevent it. There is a backdrop of the Wendigo, and I personally would have liked to see a focal on that bit more, but it doesn't ruin where they're getting it. The acting is solid across the board. Thought that was good. The effects were as well, including the practical and CGI in that statement. I do think the cinematography helps a lot as well. Soundtrack also fit for what was needed. I'd say that overall this is a good movie and would recommend giving it a viewing. My rating for Antlers is an 8 out of 10. And then at number 52, I have Jacob's Wife. This is directed by Travis Stevens, who also wrote the screenplay with Mark Steensland and Kathy Charles. This stars Barbara Crampton, Larry Fessenden, and Bonnie Ahrens. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.5 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being Anne, married to a small-town minister, feels her life has been shrinking over the past 30 years. Encountering the master brings her a new sense of power and an appetite to live bolder. However, the change comes with a heavy body count. So this is a movie that I did a featured review on episode number 96, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 22, which was paired up with The Bride of the Gorilla. And for this movie here, I'm glad that I finally got around to seeing this movie as I enjoyed it. I should also point out this was, you know, Jacob's wife, Bride of the Gorilla. thought I was pretty clever there. But this has an interesting premise here of Annie, who has lost herself in being the preacher's wife and finding herself by becoming a monster. We get themes of perverted religion and vampires attacking a small town. The acting works well. I'd say that the effects can be a bit over the top, but for the most part, they're good. The soundtrack does help, and the soundtrack also fits for what was needed. I'd say that this is a good movie. My goal is to rewatch this by the end of the year for sure. So my rating here for Jacob's Wife is an 8 out of 10. And the last movie for this section here is going to be 51, which is Hard Labor. Goes by the title of Trabalahar Kansa. Now this was co-directed between Marco Dutra and Juliano Rojas, who also co-wrote this together. This stars Helena Elbergaria and Marata Descartes, as well as Noana Lima. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from Brazil. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being Young housewife Helena is on the verge of fulfilling a dream as she prepares to open her own business, a neighborhood grocery store. She hires a maid, Paula, to take care of her house and daughter, but when her husband, Octavio, is suddenly fired from his job as an insurance executive, Helena is left to support the family alone. As he fails to find work, 
this makes everything that much more complicated. So this is a movie that was a featured review on episode 65, which was Woman Directed Number 3, as I paired this up with another South American movie of La Casa. And for this movie here is that I think it's a good one, but I also could see people thinking that nothing really happens. We are getting a look at marriage between two people who are flipping gender roles and the stresses of their choices. There's also this underlying story of their maid who they don't treat the best. The story is simple, but I really like how the characters handle it. There aren't a lot in the way of effects, but we don't need them either. Shot well, the soundtrack fits. I'd rate this as a good movie. If they would have leaned more in explaining the horror elements or given us more there, I think this could have been a masterpiece. Since I don't, it does lack for me to go higher than what I've given it. So my rating here for Hard Labor is going to be an 8 out of 10. Now I'm going to get you over to another break here as I rest and then get you into my top 50 movies on this Odyssey Through the Ones. And welcome back. And then to kick off this top 50 here, I have Paranormal Activity 3 from 2011. This is directed between Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman. This is written by Christopher Landon and then from the original film by Oren Pelly. This stars Chloe Sevgiri, Jessica Tyler Brown, and Christopher Nicholas Smith. This is a horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 5.8 on IMDb and a 2.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, In 1988, young sisters Katie and Christy befriend an invisible entity who resides in their home going by the name of Toby. So this one was a mini-review on episode 65, which was Women Directed number 3, and that was the La Casa Hard Labor episode. And this is one that I actually originally saw as a pre-street while working at Family Video, but I did rewatch this with Jamie, I believe this was probably in February. But I did come down harder on this movie than I should have that first time around. This one does some interesting things that helped being that it is a prequel with explaining the backstory for the movies that we've gotten. It also makes sense to where the series goes from here as well. The acting works for the realism needed in a found footage movie. Most of the effects that we get are solid enough. I just have some slight issues with the cinematography and some of the believability with the filming. The soundtrack is diegetic, which I appreciate for helping with the realism and the sound design works for building the scares. This viewing has brought up my thoughts on this one to now being a good movie. If you don't like the series, you probably won't like this one. If you like found footage, I think this is an interesting series and just continuing on with the story. So my rating here for Paranormal Activity 3 is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then coming in at number 49 is going to be Grave Encounters. This is also from 2011. This was directed by Colin Minahan and Stuart Ortiz, who I believe are the Vicious Brothers. And then they also are all of the writers there as well. This stars Ben Wilkinson, Sean Rogerson, and Ashley Gazurko. This is a horror mystery film that is from Canada. It is currently sitting on a 6.1 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, for their ghost hunting show, a production crew locks themselves inside of an abandoned mental hospital that is supposedly haunted, and it might prove to be all true. So this one, Jamie and I watched together, and this was on episode number 29, which was Journey Through the Aughts number 5, as the feature reviews over there were Dr. Cyclops and We Summon the Darkness. This is one that I'm glad that I got around to seeing, because the feelings it gave to me are creepy. It has a similar setup to something with like the last broadcast, and I like that it's kind of mocking those Ghost Hunter shows. The acting is believable to bring their characters to life, and the effects, for the most part, were really solid. I'm glad they decided to go without a soundtrack to accompany it, that makes it more unnerving, and they use sounds as well to make it even more uncomfortable. 
they do well at bringing things they introduce earlier on back up and then there's also this one subplot that i wanted to be a bit more from i also felt like it drug it a bit later in the movie and didn't necessarily know how to end none of this ruined it i found this to be a good movie after this initial viewing and would recommend it to those that like the found footage subgenre. this is also a solid ghost film as well so my rating for grave encounters is going to be an 8 out of 10 and for number 48 is going to be your next this is directed by Adam Wingard. This is written by Simon Barrett. It stars Sharni Vinson, Joe Swanberg, and A.J. Bowen. This is a horror thriller film that is from a co-production of the United States and United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with our synopsis being, When the Davison family comes under attack during their wedding anniversary getaway, the gang of mysterious killers soon learns that one of the victims harbors a secret talent for fighting back. So this was a mini-review on episode 91, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 18. And for this one, is a solid take on a slasher film that does a something a bit different. I like that the characters that we get are mostly unlikable. The acting helps bring that to life. The kills that we get look good, and I like the effects used there. The explanation for the backstory to Aaron works for me. The soundtrack also fits for what was needed with the reoccurring song being the standout. The last thing to say would be that I enjoyed the mask that I were wearing and that adds a layer of creepiness. This is a good movie to me and one that I will be revisiting you know, every so often as I've seen it now a couple times. My rating for your next is an 8 out of 10. And then at position number 47, I have attacked the block. This is from 2011. This is written and directed by Joe Cornish. Stars John Boyega. Jody Whitaker and Alex Ishmael. This is an action adventure comedy sci-fi thriller horror film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being a teen gang in South London defend their block from an alien invasion. So this is a movie here that was a mini review on episode number 90 which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 17. This is actually one that I watched when I was working at Family Video. I blindly took it home and actually enjoyed it quite a bit. And I liked it ever since that first viewing, and I appreciate it more after the second one. I think we have interesting social commentary here following this gang of teens. We don't like them at first, but we slowly change that, much like with Sam. It is interesting to take an alien invasion and do it on a smaller scale. The acting fits the characters, and I think it's giving them all distinct personalities. The effects work for me, including the practical and CGI. Soundtrack fit for what was needed. This is also a good movie. I would definitely recommend giving it a viewing. I will warn you though, it is from UK and the accents and slang might be difficult to understand so I had to watch it with subtitles on. I just wanted you to be aware coming in on this but my rating here for Attack the Block is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then coming in at my 46th position is going to be Lamb from 2021. This was directed by Vladimir Johansson who also co-wrote this with Shoin. So join me. This stars Numi Rapaz, Hilmer Schneer Gundensen, and Bjorn Hallner Haraldsson. This is a drama fantasy horror mystery film that is a co-production between Iceland, Poland, and Sweden. This is sitting on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a childless couple discovers a mysterious newborn on their farm in Iceland. So for this movie here, I did a feature review on episode 103, which was my Halloween episode number two, as I paired this up with Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers. And for this one here, it's an interesting movie. It's a bit hard to talk about without going into spoilers. So, but I will say is that there is more to it than just the crux of what changes this couple's life. We have two great performances from Rapace and Gundensen. 
what is almost feels like they could be these characters. There's an interesting commentary about protecting your way of life and the worry about your children from the outside world. Movie looks amazing. The effects were solid and the soundtrack fit for what was needed. I would say that after this viewing, it's a good movie. Not sure I'll be able to go higher, but I will give this a second watch at some point. So my rating here for Lamb is an 8 out of 10. And I will also say some people don't consider this to be a horror movie. I think it's dark enough with some of the things and where it goes to in the end. So just keep that in mind as well. And coming in at position 45 is going to be The Cursed. This went by the original title of Eight for Silver. This is written and directed by Sean Ellis. It stars Boyd Holbrook, Kelly Riley, and Alistair Petrie. This is a fantasy horror mystery film that is a co-production between United Kingdom, France, and the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd, with our synopsis here being... In rural 19th century France, a mysterious, possible supernatural menace threatens a small village. John McBride, a pathologist, comes to town to investigate the danger and exercise some of his own demons in the process. So this one, I originally did a featured review on episode 121, which was Black Appreciation number 6, which was Black Devil Doll and this movie here. I also did a mini review recently on episode 145. So this is taking a subgenre with established lore and doing something a bit different with it. We get an interesting story, coupling it with events, and then going into the past intrigued me. The acting is good. I would say that how this is shot and the soundtrack were as well. The effects of the attacks were good as well, and I like the look of the creature. There are only a time or two where the CGI wasn't great, but only getting glimpses, I can be forgiving. I enjoyed this quite a bit, and it is one that's high on my list for the year, because this has actually got its wide release in 2022. It did some festival stuff last year, and I'm glad that I could revisit this one as well, as I've watched it twice, as I said. So my rating here for The Cursed is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then for spot number 44 is going to be Off Season. This is from 2021, but this is another one that's getting its wide release here this year. This is written and directed by Mickey Keating. This stars Jocelyn Donahue, Joe Swanberg, and Richard Brake. This is a drama, fantasy, horror, sci-fi thriller mystery that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 4.9 on IMDb and a 2.7 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, after receiving a mysterious letter, a woman travels to a desolate island town and soon becomes trapped in a nightmare. So this movie here was a featured review on episode 132, which was Trek to the Two's number six. I had this paired up with Chandu the Magician. And this is one that I heard good things about. What I knew is that it ticked boxes for me, and this movie lived up to that. We have an interesting setup with an isolated island. I like how it traps our characters there. There are Lovecraftian elements that make it even more eerie. Cinematography is good, and soundtrack is great in building the atmosphere. Donahue works as our lead, with the rest of the cast pushing her to where she ends up. Solid movie that works in the realm that is building for me. I'd say that after this initial viewing, it's a good movie, and I'm looking forward to revisit this one as well for the end of the year, so if you hear it pop up again, that is why. As And I'm kind of interested where I fall after that second viewing. So my rating here for off-season is going to be an 8 out of 10. Then at spot 43 is going to be The Black Phone. Another one that's a 2021 film getting its wide release here this year. This is directed by Scott Derrickson. It comes from the short story by Joe Hill of The Black Phone. This is co-written between Derrickson and C. Robert Cargill. This stars Mason Thames, Tim, something like that. Madeline McGraw and Ethan Hawke. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being after being abducted by a child killer and locked in a soundproof basement. A 13-year-old boy starts receiving calls on a disconnected phone from the killer's previous victims. 
So this is one here that was a featured review on episode 139, Truck Through the Twos number 13, as I had this paired up with Get That Girl. And this is one that I enjoyed quite a bit. We are getting a modern gothic tale. I like how it sets up Finny and Gwen as well as how that will come back into play later. The acting is good. I like the story and how the writing introduces things that come back later. This also explores darker sides of humanity. It makes me want to reread the short story because I guess I actually did and did not remember. There aren't many glaring issues here, but there are just some things here and there that kind of hurt it. This is a solid studio horror film for me and one that I am planning on revisiting before the end of the year to see where it falls. So my rating for the black phone is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then coming in at position number 42 is going to be Censor. This is directed by Prano Bailey Bond, who co-wrote this with Anthony Fletcher. This stars Nima Algar, Michael Smiley, and Nicholas Burns. This is a horror mystery film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, after viewing a strangely familiar video, Nasty, Enid, a film censor, sets out to solve the past mystery of her sister's disappearance, embarking on a quest that dissolves the line between fiction and reality. So this is an interesting little movie here that I did a featured review on episode 86, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 13. I paired this up with Spooks Run Wild, and then also did a mini review on episode 112, which was Winter Year End 13. That episode featured The Deep House and Silent Night, Deadly Night 4, Initiation. So for this one here, I like some parts of this. It is an interesting setting with this, you know, in the UK during the Video Nasties era and giving us a censor who, due to her mental state, shouldn't be watching the movies that she is. I think there's a good idea in Mystery. It works even better after the second viewing. Seeing the breakdown of Enid is good, especially with how well Elgar plays the role. The effects that we get are solid, giving it a touch of the sleazy movies that this movie is referencing. I also like the effects and cinematography for the climax as well as the conclusion. It is interesting and disorienting. I can't recommend this movie to everyone. You really need to enjoy Slow Burns, and even then, I can see a lot of people not liking it. For me, I find this to be a good movie after that second watch for sure, so my rating here for Censor is an 8 out of 10. And then position number 41 is going to be Gaia. This is from 2021. This was directed by Jaku Barwar, and it was written by Turtus Cap. This stars Monique Rockman, Carol Nell, and Alex Van Dyke. This is a drama fantasy horror film that is from South Africa. It is currently sitting on a 5.6 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being an injured forest ranger on a routine mission is saved by two off-the-grid survivalists. What is initially a welcome rescue grows more suspicious as the son and his renegade father reveal a cultist devotion to the forest. So for this movie here, this was a featured review on episode 110, which was winter year-end 11 as i paired this up with Windchill, and for this movie here i like it i think we have an interesting commentary for what humanity does to nature and nature fighting back this isn't even interesting madness to barend who thinks that poorly of humanity it is hard to disagree with him though for what i like this movie focuses on things at times that aren't as interesting it does slow the movie down if i'm honest the acting is good though i will give credit there the effects work, and even the CGI doesn't always look great, still is fine. Cinematography looks great, and the soundtrack adds to the atmosphere that they needed for sure. Something else I haven't brought up is it's great setting this deep in the woods. You get this lost feeling for sure. Overall, I'd say this is good. If I have some issues that could be fixed, this could be higher. I am interested in re-watching this now that I've seen it, just to kind of see where I am after a second viewing. So my rating here for Gaia is an 8 out of 10. Then in position 40, I have Malignant. This is from 2021. 
This was directed by James Wan, who came up with the story with Ingrid Bisu, as well as Akilah Moore. This stars Annabella Wallace, Maddie Hassan, and George Young. This is a crime horror mystery thriller film that is from a co-production of the United States and China. It is currently sitting on a 6.2 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders, and her torment worsens as she discovers that these waking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. So this movie was a mini-review on episode 98, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 24, and the featured reviews were The Son of Dr. Jekyll and Dynamic. And this movie here is one that I thought was solid. There was buzz, so I was excited to see this, and I think this lived up to the expectations. We have an interesting story that is blending slashers with a bit of giallo and even medical style movie. The acting is solid. Majority of the effects that we get here are done well, and the same could be said for the cinematography. Soundtrack worked for the most part. I also like the elements that were incorporated from other horror movies while still doing its own thing. For me, I'd say this is a good movie and one of the better ones for the year. This is another one that I wanted to rewatch before my year-end list. Didn't get around to it, but I do plan on watching it again in the near future. So my rating here for Malignant is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then for 39, I have Twins of Evil. This is directed by John Hugh. This is from 1971. This was written by Tudor Gates, and it comes from the characters created by Sheridan Lee Fanu. This stars Indigo Jackson, Judy Matheson, and Peter Cushing. This is a horror film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a religious sect led by Gustav Veal hunts all women suspected of witchcraft, killing a number of innocent victims. Young Katie, Gustav's niece, will involve herself in a devilish cult and become an instrument of justice in the region. So for this movie here, I did a mini review on episode 96, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 22, which featured Bride of the Gorilla and Jacob's wife, as I get to see this at the Gateway Film Center, actually. Now, this is also a Hammer film, if I should point that out, and this is a solid movie, and I'll be honest, I think I enjoy this one more than the earlier film in the series. The depth of the story is what really gets me. I think having the lines blurred of good and evil for the Brotherhood and the Karsteins adds an element. This is also given us the duality between these twins who seem to have a deeper connection than just family. I like incorporating elements of Carmilla into this. The effects are solid as well as the cinematography and the soundtrack fit for what was needed. I would say this movie is good. This is one that I'd recommend if you like Hammer or any of the movies in the series or movies that are just loosely adapting the novel. So my rating here for Twins of Evil is going to be an 8 out of 10. Then at number 38 is going to be Brotherhood of the Wolf, which goes by the original title of Le Pacte des Loops. This is directed by Christopher Gans. This is the written the original scenario by Stephanie Cabal, and then Gans wrote the adaptation. This stars Samuel Labihan, Mark Damascos, and Jeremy Rainier. This is an action-adventure-drama-horror-thriller film that is from France. It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd. In the 18th century France, which is the synopsis here, is the Chevalier de Fronsac and his Native American friend Mani are sent to the Givaudan province at the king's behest to investigate the killings of hundreds by a mysterious beast. So this is one that I've seen a handful of times, and the last time was a mini-review on episode 36, which was Journey Through the Yachts number 11, and the featured reviews there were Legend of the Muse and Drums of Fu Manchu. But this movie here was one that 
it keeps going up every time I see it, and I end up liking it more. It is interesting as it's based in historical fact, and I enjoy that. I don't necessarily believe that this cult was actually there, but could there have been one? Absolutely, and I find that to be interesting for the movie, especially since the Knights Templar also seem to be involved. The acting is good across the board. I like some of the action sequences, but they do seem to be a bit out of place for the characters involved. It does run a bit too long, and the CGI doesn't necessarily hold up. Aside from that, I think the soundtrack fits for what was needed. My rating has come up on this one, and I feel like this is a good movie. I have watched this in its native language of French with subtitles, but I do know that there's a dub version out there as well. So my rating here for The Brotherhood of the Wolf is an 8 out of 10. Then at 37 is going to be one that goes by two different titles, which is either Scream of Fear or Taste of Fear. This is from 1961, directed by Seth Holt, and was written by Jimmy Sangster. Stars Susan Strasberg, Ann Todd, and Ronald Lewis. I actually think this is a Hammer film. This is a horror thriller film that is from the United Kingdom. Currently sitting on a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd, with the snops being a wheelchair-bound young woman returns to her father's estate after 10 years, and although she's told he's away, she keeps seeing his dead body on the estate. So this is one that I did a mini-review on episode 111. This was winter year-end number 12, and that was the last Winter in Blazing World episode. For this one here... I like this movie until the reveal and then my jaw dropped. I'm trying to temper what I'm saying to not potentially get your hopes up or give anything away, but this is a story that at first seems like it's something we've seen and I like where it ends up. The acting carries this one. I like the implications of Penny and why she needs to keep it together. This movie is shot beautifully and the soundtrack fits for what was needed while also being a plot point at times. I would say after that first viewing, I'd give this as good and one that I'm going to revisit at some point just because now that I know how it plays out, I'm interested in, you know, revisiting this one. So my rating here for Scream of Fear or Taste of Fear is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then position number 36 is From Hell from 2001. This was co-directed between Albert Hughes and Alan Hughes. Comes from the graphic novel by Alan Moore and then... He also co-wrote that with Eddie Campbell and then Terry Hayes at the screenplay. Stars Johnny Depp, Heather Graham, and Ian Holm. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from a co-production of the United Kingdom, United States, and Czech Republic. This is sitting on a 6.7 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with the snops being in Victoria-era London. A troubled clairvoyant police detective investigates the murders of Jack the Ripper. I actually also read the graphic novel as well just as kind of something to throw out there. But this was a mini-review on episode 36, which was Journey Through the Aughts number 11, where I had Legend of the Muse and Drubs of Fu Manchu as the features over there. And this is an excellent adaptation from the source material. It is also tough that we truly don't know who Jack the Ripper is, so kind of basing this off of the graphic novel is kind of an interesting way to play out this mystery, and I think the movie does well, and it moves at a good pace. I never get bored despite its two-hour runtime, which is good. The acting brings these characters to life. Shouts out to Depp and Holm for sure. The effects were good, and I think the soundtrack fit for what was needed. If I have issues, it's just hard to figure out who some of the characters were. Other than that, though, this is a good movie in my opinion, and one that I am excited to revisit when I get a chance. So my rating here from Hell is going to be an 8 out of 10. Then at position number 35, I have The Pit and the Pendulum from 1961. This was directed by Roger Corman from the screenplay by Richard Matheson and the original story from Edgar Allan Poe of The Pit and the Pendulum. This stars Vincent Price, Barbara Steele, and John Kurt, a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. 
It is currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, In the 16th century, Francis Barnard travels to Spain to clarify the strange circumstances of his sister's death after she married the son of a cruel Spanish inquisitor. So this movie was a featured review on episode 102, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 27, as I paired this up with Titane. And for this movie here, it's a solid take on a few Poe stories. I like the depth of the story that we have here where Nicholas seems like he could be hiding something or he could be descending into madness with the truth. It took a bit for me to get on board with the story, but once I did, I was sold. The acting from Price and Steele was on point with the rest fitting as needed. Cinematography was good and the effects were along with the soundtrack. After this initial viewing, I'd say this is a good movie and one that I will revisit for sure. So my rating here for The Pit and the Pendulum is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then it's... Number 34 is going to be Suicide Club. This goes by the original title of Jisatsu Sakuru. This is written and directed by Sion Sono. Comes from the year 2001. Stars Ryu Ishibashi, Masatoshi Nagasi, and Mai Haso. This is a crime, drama, horror, mystery thriller film that is from Japan. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being a detective is trying to find the cause of a string of suicides. So this movie here was a mini review on episode number 35, which was Journey Through the Outs number 10. I had featured reviews there of Son of Ngagi and Real 2. And then for this movie here, I don't fully understand what it's trying to convey, but I dug what they did. It is a scary thing that these people are just committing suicide, and the more people look into it, the rabbit hole they go down is just creepy. The acting is good across the board. We have some solid standout roles with Detective Kuroda for me. Not all the effects work, but there were just a couple shots that I had issues with. Same can be said for the music. Overall, this is a good movie, though. One that I want to revisit and see what I might have missed. And I will warn you, this is from Japan, so I had to watch it with subtitles. If that's an issue, there could be a dub, but I don't know offhand, and... Yeah, like I said, there's a lot to unpack in this movie for sure. So my rating here for Suicide Club is going to be an 8 out of 10. Then position at number 33 is The Skin I Live In. This goes by the original title of La Piel Que Habidito. This is directed by Pedro Almodorv, who also did the screenplay in collaboration with Augustine Almodovar. And then it looks like Thierry Joquette wrote the novel My Gale. This stars Antonio Banderas, Elena Ayanya, and Jean Cornette. Jean Cornette? Yeah, either way. This is a drama horror thriller film that is from a co-production of Spain and United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.6 on IMDb and a 3.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, A brilliant plastic surgeon haunted by past tragedies creates a type of synthetic skin that withstands any kind of damage. His guinea pig, a mysterious volatile woman who holds the key to his obsession. So this is one that I did a mini review on episode 84, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 11. That was the Black Cat and Seder were the two featured reviews there. And I'll actually be honest about something. This is a movie that came out while I was working at Family Video. I almost considered taking this home, but for whatever reason, I did it. And I'm upset with myself for not doing it earlier. I'm also lucky that I got to see this on the big screen at the theater for the first time. I think we have an interesting story here. And actually, to get back to the theater thing, I watched this because it was uh for fight club podcast this has some brutal elements so the conclusion works that much better the acting helps to bring the characters to life i enjoy the mad scientist aspects without leaning too much into them cinematography is good along with the main song for the movie 
the rest of the soundtrack fits. I would say this is a good one that I would recommend if you're, you know, this sounds like an interesting thing to you. I will warn you though, this is from Spain, so I watch it with subtitles. If that's an issue, I would avoid this. If not, I think this is just a kind of solid little movie here with some interesting reveals. So my rating here for The Skin I Live In is an 8 out of 10. And then coming in at number 32 is Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1931. This was directed by Robin Mamoline. And then the screenplay was written by Samuel Hoffenstein as well as Percy Heath. And then this is based on the novel from Robert Louis Stevenson. Stars Frederick March, Miriam Hopkins, and Rose Hobart. This is a horror sci-fi film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.6 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being Dr. Jekyll faces horrible consequences when he lets his dark side run wild with a potion that transforms him into an animalistic Mr. Hyde. So this is a movie that was a mini review on episode number 30 which was my top 31 of big three slashers as I went through everything from Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Friday the 13th, put them all together and kind of rated them my worst to best there. And I dig early versions of this story a lot more than I expected. It is driven by the acting of the three stars, March, Hopkins, and Hobart. They do so well in bringing these characters to life. The take on Hyde being animalistic and reflecting that through the makeup and how he acts is good. Showing us a few different transformation sequences was impressive. Surprisingly, we have some good social commentary as well, which I didn't expect, and this coming out pre-production code helps. The soundtrack didn't necessarily stand out, but it fit for what was needed, and I never got bored with this version. I'd read this as a good movie with my first viewing, and I will warn you, this is from 31, so I watched it with you know in black and white. And it's also a period piece, so if that's an issue, I'd avoid this. If not, this is one of the better takes on this classic tale. So my rating here for Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1931 is an 8 out of 10. And then coming at number 31 is Itchy the Killer. It goes by the original title of Koroshia 1. This was directed by Takashi Miike. This was written by Sakichi Sato, who did the screenplay. And then it looks like the manga was done by Hideo Yamamoto. This stars Tadanobu Asano, Naomori, and Shinya... Tusakamoto. This is an action crime drama film that's pretty much going into horror with how far it goes. This is from Japan. Currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being as sadomasochistic Yakuza enforcer Kakahara searches for his missing boss he comes across Ichi, a repressed and psychotic killer who may be able to inflict levels of pain that Kakihara has only dreamed of achieving. So this movie here, I saw it for the first time in the theater. I believe this was just being shown for whatever reason at the Gateway Film Center. But I did another rewatch here as a mini review for episode 36 was Journey Through the Odds number 11, which had Legend of the Muse and Drums of Fu Manchu on there. But for this one here is a good movie. It's If you're into over-the-top bloody films, then this is going to give you what you're looking for. The concept is interesting, and you have to pick sides between two groups of criminals. The acting across the board was good. The effects are hit or miss. Some are great, while others not so much. The editing does have some issues, and the soundtrack works for what was needed. This is from Japan, so I watch it with subtitles on. If that's an issue, I'd avoid this. But the DVD I had did have a dub version, so if you need that, then you know that's available. If not, this is a brutal revenge film that if you're into, I would recommend giving a viewing. So my rating here for Itchy the Killer is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then to start my top 30, I have The Cat of Nine Tales. Original title was Il Gato a Nove Code. 
This is from 1971, directed by Dario Argento, based upon the story that he did along with Luigi Cozzi, and then it looks like Dardano Sarchetti also helped with the story. This stars James Franciscus, Carl Malden, and Catherine Spack. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is a co-production between Italy, France, and West Germany. Currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a newspaper reporter and a retired blind journalist try to solve a series of killings connected to a pharmaceutical company's top-secret experimental research projects, and in doing so, they become targets of the killer. So, this was a movie that was a mini-review on episode 80, which was my top horror films from 1921 and 1931. I've seen this a handful of times ahead of that. I know once was in the theater when the Gateway Film Center did a Dario Argento retrospective. But for this movie here, this one just keeps growing with me with every viewing. I think that Argento constructs an interesting Gialli film. The two reporters piece together this mystery where a killer keeps making it harder and harder at each turn. The scientific aspects play into this have an interesting angle. Acting fits role was needed. I think it's shot beautifully and the effects work. Soundtrack also works right there along with it. Overall, this isn't my top five of his filmography, which another well-made giallo from a master filmmaker, though. I would say this is a good movie, and if you like this subgenre or the director, give this one a viewing. So my rating for The Cat of Nine Tales is going to be an 8 out of 10. And then at number 29, we have Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981. This was directed by Steve Miner. This is based on the characters by Victor Miller as well as Sean S. Cunningham. This was written by Ron Kurz. Stars Betsy Palmer, Amy Steele, and John Fury. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. Currently sitting on a 6.0 on IMDb and a 3.1 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being five years after the events of the first film. A summer camp next to the infamous Camp Crystal Lake is preparing to open, but the legend of Jason is weighing heavy on the proceedings. So this is one that I most recently watched for Movie Club Challenge over on the podcast Under the Stairs. And, well, I mean, I've seen it a handful of times even before that, though. I would highly recommend this one. This is up there as one of my favorites in the series. The story has its flaws when it comes to the backstory, but the simplicity to the slasher elements work. The acting goes with it is great in having one of the best final girls in slasher history in Ginny. The rest of the cast around her is people that we get to know and care enough about when they're killed. The effects are good, even though there aren't a lot seen. This is one that moves along without a hitch, and the score is amazing. I would highly recommend this, as I think it's a very good film, even if you're not a horror fan. So my rating here for Friday the 13th Part 2 is going to be an 8 out of 10. So I actually just realized that I made a blunder, and I am too lazy to go back and fix it. So what's going to end up happening here is number 28 is actually the Dracula film that I referred to earlier. And what ended up happening is the one further down is actually the Dracula 1931 Spanish version. That's the one that should be back wherever that one took place. So I'm not going to do anything to fix that just because it would be some work on my end that... I think is just not necessarily worth it. So what I'm going to talk about here is that Dracula film, which is also from 1931. This Spanish version is written by Bram Stoker. The Spanish version itself is Baltazar Fernandez Q. And then the play from John L. Balderston. This is directed by George Melford. Stars Carlos Valeras and Lupita Tovar and Barry Norton. It is a drama mystery fantasy horror film actually take mystery out of there 
but this is from the United States as well. This one's sitting on a 7.1 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd. Synopsis is centuries-old vampire Dracula preys upon the innocent Ava and her friends. So this actually was recorded on episode 64, which was The Tenant in Bright Hill Road, which I had the, you know, this was a mini review over there. And I rate this right up there with the English version. I like this being an early adaptation of the source material. I would like to have it pulled more from the novel and not so much from the play. I think the acting here is good. The effects are fine for the era and the cinematography is good, just lacking a bit. Soundtrack also fit for what was needed. I will give credit here to Universal for making a gamble to produce the same movie, just with minorities in their language. For me, this is above average, just lacking a bit to be the other version. So my rating here for the Spanish version is 7.5 out of 10. So that version actually will fall at the 61st position. Now, the English version with Bela Lugosi is actually at number 28. Just wanted to kind of fix that here. I'm not going to move things around, but I just wanted to at least make sure I acknowledge both of them. Then coming in at number 27 is The Innocents. This is the one from 1961 directed by Jack Clayton, comes from the story by Henry James of The Turn of the Screw. Additional dialogue and everything was done by John Mortimer. And then William Archibald did the screenplay. Stars Deborah Kerr, Peter Wingard, and Megs Jenkins. This is a horror film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 7.8 on IMDb and a 4.1 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a young governess of two children becomes convinced the house and grounds are haunted. So this movie here was a mini review on episode 68, which was Woman Directed number 4. That featured Eve's Bayou and St. Maud. And I will admit that I liked this movie after the first viewing, but the second one, and having read the source material, makes it better than I remembered. The performance from Kerr really carries this, with the rest of the cast pushing her to where she ends up. How this is shot makes things creepier than it should be, and the soundtrack helps there as well. The gothic atmosphere of the setting also helps on top of that. It is a movie that makes you question, it is, you know, is this place haunted by the ghosts, or are the two former workers, or is Miss Giddens just having a nervous breakdown? Or is it both? I do think we get a conclusion that works as well. For me, this is a good movie, and one that I would gladly revisit now that I've seen it twice, just because it is such an interesting type movie and everything like that. So my rating here for The Innocence from 1961 is an 8 out of 10. And the last movie for this section is going to be The Wolfman from 1941. This is directed by George Wagner. This is written by Kurt Sodomack. Stars Claude Rains, Warren William, and Lon Chaney Jr. This is a horror mystery romance film that is from the United States. Currently sitting on a 7.2 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd. Synopsis is Larry Talbot returns to his father's castle in Wales and meets a beautiful woman. One fateful night, Talbot escorts her to a local carnival where they meet a mysterious gypsy fortune teller. So if you don't know, this is the universal one. This was a mini-review on episode 65, which was woman-directed number three, which had La Casa and Hard Labor. This is one that I've seen a handful of times. I'm pretty sure I saw this one in the theater at the Gateway Film Center. But this is one of my favorites from the era despite my issues. I like the concept of the werewolf and the commentary about it. As Claude Rains states in the movie, there is good and evil in the human soul. It is all how the person decides what to do about it. I do feel there are some issues with the story, but not enough to ruin it. This has significance with the werewolf lore in film. The acting is good. There aren't a lot in the way of effects, but what they do are well done. The editing was solid. Score didn't necessarily stand out or hurt the film. Keep in mind, this is from 41, so it's black and white. So if that's an issue, I'd avoid this. If not, I feel like this is a universal classic and worth a viewing. 
So my rating here for the Wolfman from 1941 is an 8 out of 10. Now I'm going to take you over to another break here before I get to the next section of this episode. And welcome back. This is probably going to end up being the shortest section here as well. But what I wanted to do is kind of go through what my honorable mentions were and then my bottom 10 for anything that I've watched since starting the podcast and everything like that. So I'm going to be very brief with uh, honorable mentions as they're all from 2021 and all have a rating of 7 out of 10. And those ones are going to be The Forever Purge, The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, Till Death, Open Your Eyes, Prisoners of the Ghostland, The Happiness of the Katakuras, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, The Seed, We're All Going to the World's Fair, and The Scary of 61st Street. Now, some of these are getting its wide release here in 2022, so some of these could actually have potential for movement. Like, for existence there, it could be We're All Going to the World's Fair could move up for me. Um, just kind of looking at that list right there, that's really kind of the only one that I'm probably going to end up revisiting at some point just to kind of see where it has potential movement or anything like that. So what I'm going to go ahead and do then is shift over to my bottom 10 and that will start with Wrong Turn 4, Bloody Beginnings. This is from 2011 and I'm not going to go through the whole spiel with it, but I will just say is that I came in with low expectations and this kind of met them. This is a mid-2010 slasher film. It has a setup that I'm fine with. Getting more of the trio of our cannibal inbred hillbillies is fine with me. I can buy some of what we're getting here. There's just quite a bit of overacting and the characters aren't distinct. The villains are solid though. The practical effects are as well. Where the CGI isn't so much and doesn't necessarily work. I think they do some good things with the soundtrack and this isn't a great slasher, but I just feel like it's fine. I would say this is actually just over average for me. I'd only recommend this to slasher fans, mostly for the setting and the time of year, because this is in the middle of winter where we had snow and everything like that. But outside of that, this is just a series of films that are fine, and this movie kind of falls along in that. I will say, though, since I haven't really watched a lot of bad movies from years ending in one for the podcast so far, so I actually came in with a 5.5 out of 10 for this movie. Then at number 9 is going to be The Monster and the Girl. This is from 1941. And for this one is, there's an interesting premise. It is taking a semi-popular subgenre for the era and doing something a bit different with it than I've seen. I would say that the acting is solid. The cinematography was fine. There aren't a lot in the way of effects, but when they did with this gorilla impressed me because the premise for this movie is that a mad doctor is trying to take a person's brain and transplant it into a gorilla. So I would say other than that, that we have some issues with the story that could have been fleshed out a bit more and that's lacking tension for me due to that. Aside from that, I'd say the sound design and the soundtrack fit for without standing out. This is just over average. They could have added a bit more story and I think that could have deepened what we got and make this more enjoyable. So this movie actually comes in at a 5.5 as well for me. And then at 8 is going to be Bones from 2001. I thought this one has some good things going for it as well while also having some things that are not so good. The concept is good, that's one of the things, and there are some plot holes though. The backstory I'm on board for, but the mythology is lacking. I'd say that the acting is solid for the most part. The practical effects are as well, and we get some bad CGI. Aside from that, I love the homage to cinema of the past. The cinematography and soundtrack are fine on top of that. And then, after the second watch, I've come up on it, and I would say this is over average for me now. And it has come up quite a bit, to be honest. So my rating here for Bones is a 5.5 out of 10 as well. Then at 7, I have Reptilicus from 1961. This is actually an interesting one because I was really excited to watch this as I remember growing up and hearing about it, but it wasn't as good as I thought it would be. 
It does have interesting aspects and historical significance being the only kaiju film from Denmark. There are some problematic aspects of the story. The acting is fine. The effects have charm for the era while also leaving something to be desired. I would say the sound design did add some tension, but it also didn't fully make sense either. I have to say that I'm slightly over average here. There are just too many issues for me to go higher, so my rating for Reptilicus is a 5.5 out of 10. Then at 6, I have The Secret of Sinchani. This is one that I actually got to watch as a screener, and I think there's some interesting ideas and premise. They didn't go far enough with it and decided to instead focus on aspects that aren't as interesting. Feels like a cheap imitation of a Conjuring Universe movie. That isn't to say that there aren't some good things here, though. The acting is solid. The effects, cinematography, and soundtrack all helped to build atmosphere they needed. I want more of the Native American tribe and the cult that is after them and more of that mythology. I would say this is just over average due to my issues. And if I didn't say this is from 2021, and this rating for The Secret of Sinchani is going to be a 5.5 out of 10. Then coming in at number 5 here is The Phantom from 1931. This is one where there isn't a whole lot to delve into, and I would say that I do think there are some interesting setups here, but the movie just doesn't go far enough in fleshing them out. I like the idea of this villain escaping from prison and trying to get revenge. The acting is solid enough. The setting and look of the Phantom are also bright spots. Aside from that, the movie's just okay. It's lacking quite a bit for me to go and enjoy this one more. For the reason I'd say this is average, there are good and bad aspects on both sides, so I'm coming in right in the middle. So this is actually going down for the first time here as I have the Phantom at a 5 out of 10. And then number 4, I have Spooks Run Wild from 1941. This is one that is an interesting comedy horror film. It's really a vehicle to get customers in the seats with the likes of Bella Lugosi and the Eastside Kids who I'm assuming had their own followers and since then I've seen that they had a ton of movies. The acting is fine, the story is lacking a bit for they wanted the comedy to carry it. Now, they're playing with Lugosi's former role and the tropes that are good with that. It has its issues keeping my attention, and I just wanted a bit more. The last thing I'd say, the soundtrack didn't stick out or hurt the movie. I'd rate this as just average. I can't recommend it, if I'm going to be honest, unless you're out to see all Lugosi's films or just a fan of the Eastside Kids comedies. So my rating here is also a 5 out of 10. And then for number 3 is The Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn Part 1. This is from 2011, and this just isn't for me. I think it does some good things with what they're exploring. Heck, I'd even say the effects for this one are some of the best in the series thus far. I just think that the acting is kind of weak from the stars with the supporting cast just being fine. It is odd to split this movie into two with how the story plays and what they're building in the beginning. There are just some odd aspects in general. I would say this is again just average. It has some good filmmaking, but what they decide to focus on hurts it for me. So my rating for The Twilight Saga Breaking Dawn Part 1 is a 5 out of 10. Then the runner-up for the worst movie on this list is Autumn Road. This is from 2021. This was one I got to watch as a screener as well. And there are some promise to this one, but it's unrealized. I don't like to trash movies if I don't have to. I just think there are things that this wanted to do but failed in executing. If it fleshed out more of what was introduced, this could have been good. I'd say the acting is fine. Linklater... Park Lincoln and Cusack are, as Charlie, are the bright spots. Hendrix and both Learways are fine. This is shot well, and what little effects we get are fine. Going along with that, the soundtrack doesn't help or hinder this, in my opinion. For these reasons, I have to give this below average, unfortunately. So this is another one that's going to end up dropping in rating here, as Autumn Road was a 4.5 out of 10 for me. So then the last movie on this list is going to be Old Mother Riley's Ghost from 1941. 
And for this one, I didn't realize that this was a whole series as well over in the UK where we would have this person dressing up, who's a man dressing up as this old mother Riley. And this was, I guess, a comedic spiel thing. And I mean, there is historical importance for this movie and the act they're using from it. This is a comedy that has forced horror elements to put it in the subgenre. I give credit to Lucan, who, aside from the rest of the cast, don't really stand out aside from Stuart. The comedy doesn't work for me, and the sound quality for the copy I have wasn't good. With the issue I had, this movie is below average. I also can't recommend it unless you love the series and are a completionist. So what I will say, though, is that this isn't a bad list, or I've just avoided all the bad movies thus far. Because this movie I have is a 4.5 out of 10, which I mean, as I said, just below average. So that is something good going for it. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to another break. As I get into the main event here, as I give you my top 25 Odyssey Through the Ones movies. Welcome back once again, and then just to kick off my top 25 list here, it's going to be starting with Godzilla vs. Kong. This is from 2021. This is directed by Adam Wingard. This is from the story by Terry Rossio, Michael Doherty, and Zach Shields. This stars Alexander Sarsgaard, Millie Bobby Brown, and Rebecca Hall. This is an action sci-fi thriller. I consider kaiju to be close enough to horror, so that's why I'm including it here. I know some people don't, especially this one. This is from the United States. It is currently set on a 6.3 on IMDb and a 2.9 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being the epic next chapter in the cinematic monster universe pits two of the greatest icons in motion picture history against each other, the fearsome Godzilla and the mighty Kong with humanity caught in the balance. So for this movie here is one that was a featured review on episode number 74, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number three. This was paired up with King of the Wild. Thought I was being a little bit cheeky there. But this is one that I like what they did. I tried to temper my expectations, but I think this one lived up to what I wanted. The mythology they've introduced helps to set the stage and they continue to build on it for this monsterverse. I like incorporating conspiracy theories to help deepen the story. The story around the kaijus works for me to help build the bridge and I think there's some good battle sequences. CGI looks amazing to be honest. I like what they did with the soundtrack and sound design. I just had gripes with one aspect that takes some of the realism for me. I understand we're dealing with you know giant monsters fighting, but I stand by what I said. Regardless, this was a good movie, in my opinion. This is another one that I'll watch that I didn't get to before the end of the year, but I do want to revisit it just because I do enjoy watching these type of movies. So my rating for Godzilla vs. Kong is an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming at number 24 is another movie that you will probably be revisiting or hearing me revisit at least by the end of the year, and that is The Sadness. Goes by the original title of Kube. This is from 2021, but got its wide release this year. This is written and directed by Rob Jabaz. This stars Barant Zhu, Regina Lei, and Ming Ru Chen. This is a horror film that is a movie from Taiwan. This is sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with the snaps being a young couple trying to reunite amid a city ravaged by a plague that turns its victims into deranged, bloodthirsty sadists. So this one was a featured review on episode 135, my Trek to the Twos number 9. This was paired up with Haunted Gold, and I would say that... I was glad that I watched this. We get a different take on a zombie film with these people being infected by a virus. The social commentary is good. It is looking at the world we live in and how badly things are handled at times. It also explores some other things while the story itself is simple. 
I think the acting is good in bringing these characters to life. The best performance for me is Wang as the businessman who is a villain. The effects we get in this are on point. There are some slight hiccups with CGI and lack of blood with some wounds. I would credit the soundtrack and the cinematography being solid. I would say this is a good movie and I can't wait to revisit this one. I know some people enjoy it, some people love it. I'm kind of curious as where I'll be after a second viewing. After that first one though, the sadness for me is an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number 23 on this list is we need to talk about Kevin. This is from 2011. This was directed by Lynn Ramsey, who also wrote the screenplay along with Rory Stewart Kinnear. And then it looks like Lionel Shriver wrote the novel. This stars Tilda Swinton, John C. Riley, and Ezra Miller. This is a drama mystery thriller film, but this one is very bleak, so I would even put it into the horror category because of that. This is a co-production between the United Kingdom and the United States. It is currently sitting at a 7.5 on IMDb and a 3.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, Kevin's mother struggles to love her strange child despite the increasingly dangerous things he says and does as he grows up, but Kevin is just getting started, and his final act will be beyond anything anyone imagined. So for this one, I originally watched this when I worked at Family Video. I believe I might have even taken this home as a screener. If I didn't, I mean a pre-street, if I didn't, it was one that I took home pretty soon after that. But this was a mini review as I did a rewatch for episode 84, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 11. And what I will say here is that this is an interesting concept and has an event that is way too normalized today in society than it should be. We have an interesting look at what it takes to raise a psycho or a sociopath. How much blame should be on the mother of Ava and they should take and how much of it is just the nature of Kevin? To see how broken she is in the present is heartbreaking. I think the cinematography here is well done along with the color scheme and soundtrack. The acting brings these characters to life. I would say this is a good movie, bordering on great. It isn't an easy watch, so I can't recommend it to everyone. I would say that if this sounds interesting, give this one a watch. So my rating for We Need to Talk About Kevin is an 8.5 out of 10. Then at number 22, I have Session 9. This movie is from 2001. This was directed by Brad Anderson, who co-wrote the screenplay with Steven Gavadon. Now, Gavadon also stars in this with David Caruso and Paul Guilfoyle. This is a drama horror mystery film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.2 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, Tensions rise within an asbestos cleaning crew as they work in an abandoned mental hospital with a horrific past that seems to be coming back. So for this one was a mini review on episode 34. That was Journey Through the Aughts number 9. The featured reviews were The Bone Box and The Mummy's Hand. And Session 9 is one that I heard a lot about before I've ever seen. Now, I've only given it one viewing, so I do want to re-watch it, but I'm glad that I finally got around to it. It is a lower-budget effort that shows you sometimes you can do more with less. The characters that were created are feel real, and the acting is good, aside from Caruso. I like the introduction of the backstory of what happened with Mary and how it plays in with these guys. There's not a lot of wave effects, but it doesn't need them. What we get is good. The soundtrack and design helped to build that feeling of dread. This just hooked me, and I couldn't wait to see how it would end up. This is a good movie after that one viewing, and I'm intrigued to watch it again to see how things play out now that I know. So my rating here for Session 9 is also an 8.5 out of 10. And then at number 21 is Short Night of Glass Dolls. It goes by the original title of La Corta Note Bella Bambol di Vetro. This is from 1971. It was directed by Aldo Lotto, who also wrote this, and it looked like Rudiger von Spies did the additional dialogue. 
This stars Ingrid Thulin, Jean Sorel, and Mario Odoff. This is a horror mystery that is a co-production between Italy, West Germany, Yugoslavia, and Czechoslovakia. This is a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, an American journalist temporarily stationed in Central Europe searches for his new girlfriend who has suddenly disappeared. So this one was featured thanks to Where to Begin with Giallo over on the T-Puts Collective. And I like the idea of what this is doing as it's a bit different. We get the trope of someone defying the police to get to the bottom of what is going on. There's an added layer to this that we get to see our main character where they end up. And he's in this type of suspended animation. And I'm pretty sure Stephen King borrowed from this. How deep things go and where it ends up was quite interesting. The acting is good. There's not a lot of way of effect, but it doesn't need them. The last thing would be that Ennio Morricone did the music. Not his best work, but definitely solid and fifth role was needed. So I think this is a good movie. My rating for Short Night of Glass Dolls is an 8.5 out of 10. And this is one that I'm excited to revisit now that I have seen it once, just to kind of see what I might have missed that first time around. And then to kick off my top 20, I have Demons. This is the original title, Sura. This is from 1971. This was directed by Toshio Matsumoto. And then they also wrote the screenplay. And it looks like it's based on the play that was written by Namboku Churyu and Suji Ishizawa. This is a drama horror film that is from Japan. It is currently sitting on an 8.0 on IMDb and a 4.2 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being. After being robbed by a geisha, a ronin warrior carves a bloody path to seek revenge. So this is one that I was actually watching in prep for the Exploding Heads Horror Movie Podcast. And I did a mini review on episode 144, which was Trek to the Two's number 18. That featured the Mad Monster and All the Moons. And for this movie here is one that I had never heard of, but is truly a hidden gem. We get a grounded story that is brutally tragic. This goes places I wasn't expecting. I like this character study of our trio, and that would be also our leads. Their performances were good. The games they play and how things play out destroy them in different ways. The effects were good. They are more brutal than I was expecting. The sound design was also well done. If I have gripes, it just runs too long. There is a bit early into the second act that could be trimmed in my opinion. Other than that, I dug what they did here. So my rating for Demons is going to be an 8.5 out of 10. And then at my number 19th position is In the Earth. This is from 2021. Written and directed by Ben Wheatley. This stars Joel Fry, Reese Shearsmith, and Haley Squires. This is a horror mystery sci-fi thriller that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 5.2 on IMDb and a 3.0 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being. As the world searches for a cure to a disastrous virus, a scientist and a park scout venture deep into the forest for a routine equipment run. So this one was a featured review on episode number 78, which was my Odyssey Through the Ones number 6 as I paired this up with The Mad Genius. And then also gave this a second watch as part of my year-end roundup on episode 113, which was my 2021 top horror films list as I got this one in right before the end of one of my last rewatches, actually. And for this movie here is I dig the concept and the story. It is taking something that most people in the world are sick of dealing with in a pandemic, but giving us a different look at it. I think the setting of the woods is great for the isolation that comes with it. The lore that is established and built on as this goes on is great. We are getting almost a blend of nature fighting back and mixing it with folk horror. 
I would say that the acting is good across the board. The effects, cinematography, and soundtrack all work well to build the atmosphere that this needs. After that first viewing, I thought it was good. Having given it a rewatch, I gave it a slight bump, and I understand it even more. So my rating is an 8.5 out of 10, and that is In the Earth. And just to be honest here, I don't fully understand it, but I think this is one that just needs multiple viewings to kind of see what you might have missed and everything like that. So, But each viewing, I think, does give you a bit more. And then coming in at position number 18 is Titane. This is from 2021 as well. This was written and directed by Julia DiCorno. And then it looks like Jacques Acciotti was a writing consultant along with Simonetti Greggio. This stars Vincent London, Agatha Rosselli, and Garance Meliere. This is a drama horror mystery thriller that is a co-production between France and Belgium. Currently sitting on a 6.6 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being following a series of unexplained crimes, a father is reunited with the son who has been missing for 10 years. So this one was a featured review on episode 102, which was Odyssey to the Ones number 27. I had this paired up with The Pit and the Pendulum from 61 there. And then I also gave this one a mini review on episode number 113, which was again the top horror films from 2021 right there within the earth this is one that i actually watched and you know was one of the last ones again that i was watching this case re-watching for that year-end list so for this movie here though i'm glad i saw this it has an interesting enough premise and story that are equal parts grounded with fantasy the performances from linden and roselli drive this with the rest of the cast there in support this is brutal and has some body horror so if you're squeamish i'd avoid it the effects, cinematography, and soundtrack all help to build the atmosphere. I will warn you, this is also an art house film, so if you can't get past that style, I think you have a solid film here, so you know it kind of comes down to preferences there. So my rating for Titane is an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number 17 on this list is going to be The Medium from 2021. This was directed by Bangjong Pisananthakun also wrote the screenplay and it looks like got help from Chentavi Danahasavi and Na Hong Jin. This stars Narli Golmong Kopek, Shanani Utuma, and Sirani Yan Kitakan. Now if I mispronounce any of those names I do apologize. But this is a horror film that is a co-production between Thailand and South Korea. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being a horrifying story of a shaman's inheritance in the Isan region of Thailand. What could be possessing a family member might not be the goddess they make it out to be. This was a mini review on episode 112, which was my winter year end number 13. As I was you know, trying to cram in some of those 2021 watches in December. And for this movie here... This is one that I heard about, it caught my attention, and I'm glad that I didn't sleep on it. It has aspects that tick boxes for me, and I enjoyed how this plays out. It's an interesting look at a culture different from mine. I think the performances are good and bring the characters to life. The atmosphere it builds is creepy with the found footage style of shooting it. The effects and soundtrack in this world that it takes place also help there. I think this is a good movie, and bordering on being great, I am excited to revisit this one now, I was going to try to do it before the year end. It didn't. I didn't have enough time. This is a long movie as well. So I do plan on revisiting this one at some point. But my rating here for the medium is an 8.5 out of 10. Then at my 16th position is The Devil's Backbone. Goes by the original title of El Spianzo del Diablo. This was directed by Guillermo del Toro, who helped co-write the screenplay with Antonio Trashoras 
and David Munez. This stars Marisa Paradis, Eduardo Noriega, and Frederico Lupi. This is a drama horror thriller film that is a co-production between Spain and Mexico. It is currently sitting on a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.8 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, after Carlos, a 12-year-old whose father has died in the Spanish Civil War, arrives at an ominous boys' orphanage, he discovers the school is haunted and has dark secrets, which he must uncover. So for this one here, I did a mini review on episode number 35, which was Journey Through the Odds number 10, that had featured reviews of Son of Ngagi and Real 2. And for this movie here is... I'm still kicking myself that I didn't see this in the theater when I had the chance. Regardless, this is another solid film from Del Toro in my opinion. I like the backdrop of where I believe these things could happen. We have good acting and the characters have dual natures that works. The story and social commentary are good as well along with the practical effects and soundtrack. The only drawbacks are that this runs too long and some of the CGI doesn't hold up. I still think this is a good movie bordering on great couple things here or there and it could be in that upper category in my opinion i have only seen this once so i do need to revisit it but after that first viewing i thought the devil's backbone was an 8.5 out of 10 then at position 15 is possession this is from 1981 this is directed by andrzej zuluwiski i probably mispronounced that so i do apologize and this is the adaptation done by frederick tutin this stars Isabella Ajani, Sam Neill, and Margaret Cartenson. This is a drama horror film that is a co-production between France and West Germany. It is currently sitting on a 7.3 on IMDb and a 4.1 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being, A woman starts exhibiting increasingly disturbing behavior after asking her husband for a divorce. Suspicions of infidelity soon give way to something much more sinister. So this was a mini-review back on episode 103, which was my... Halloween 2 episode, as in my second year of doing that, which I had Lamb and Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers as the featured reviews over there. And for this movie is, I'm glad I finally saw it. It had been a blind spot for some time. The acting in this is amazing. The story, although not the most complex, is something that there's a lot in it. If you've been in a relationship similar, this hits home more. We don't get a lot in the way of effects, but what we do look good. The cinematography is great and the soundtrack fits for what was needed. I'd say after this initial viewing, this is good, bordering on great. This is one that I most definitely need to revisit, just to kind of come back into this knowing what plays out now. So my rating for this first viewing of Possession was an 8.5 out of 10. And then number 14 on my list is A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. This goes by the title of Una Lucitola con la Pela di Donna. This was directed by Lucio Fulci, who also came up with the story with Roberto Gianviti. And then it looks like Jose Luis Martinez Mola came up with the screenplay. This stars Felinda Bolkin, Stanley Baker, and Jean Sorel. This is technically listed as a mystery thriller, but I also consider this a horror film, and this is also a giallo. This is from a co-production of Italy, France, Spain, and the United Kingdom. It is currently set on a 6.8 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being, the potentially unhinged daughter of a British politician is accused of killing her hedonistic neighbor after she witnesses the murder in a dream. So this is a movie that actually was also covered on the Where to Begin with Giallo over on the t Puts Collective. And I enjoyed this. It has a story that I didn't see the ending coming as the curves and swerves that we get you that answer but it also gives you a lot of red herrings as to who it could be as well 
I think this is master filmmaking, to be honest, as the story isn't the most complex. There are some subtexts that I thought fit. The acting is good as well. It is paced in a way where I never got bored, despite it not necessarily going on. The soundtrack and the effects were solid. Overall, I'd say this is a good movie, and I'm excited to actually revisit this one. I've only watched it once, but I did enjoy this movie a lot. So, a lizard in a woman's skin is at this position, and it's an 8.5 out of 10. And then 13 is a Bay of Blood. This goes by the original title of Ecological del Delito. This was directed by Mario Bava, who came up with the screenplay along with Giuseppe Zaccarello and Filippo Antani. Now, this stars Claudine Auger, Luigi Pastilli, and Claudio Camasso. This is a horror mystery thriller that is from Italy. It is currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with the synopsis being The murder of a wealthy countess, which was erroneously deemed suicide, triggers a chain of reaction of brutal killings in the surrounding Bay Area as several unscrupulous characters try to take over her large estate. So this is one that I actually saw a few years ago and then rewatched as part of the podcast under the stairs movie club challenge as we were going through the movies of Mario Bava. And if you're a fan of Giallo or slasher films, I would recommend giving this one a viewing. Friday the 13th, the first two movies at least, actually borrowed two of their deaths straight from this and I found that to be interesting. Bava did a great job here with some slight flaws. The acting is good and the effects were great and i was thoroughly impressed there i think this is a good one that definitely is worth a viewing i will warn you it's a bit bloody if you're into that and like the genre i think you should be on board with this one as well what i will say is that this is dubbed it is common for italy for the era so i would just say keep that in mind coming in regardless i personally found this to be a good movie bordering on great so my rating here for a bay of blood is an 8.5 out of 10. And then coming in at number 12 here is a movie that some people might contend if it should be on this list or not, but this is my list, so there's that. But it's Donnie Darko. This is from 2001, directed by Richard Kelly, who also wrote the screenplay. Stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Jenna Malone, and Mary McDonnell. This is a drama mystery sci-fi film thriller as well that, like I said, I kind of think it's closer to being horror. This is from the United States currently sitting on an 8.0 on imdb and a 4.0 on letterbox with the synopsis being after narrowly escaping a bizarre accident a troubled teenager is plagued by visions of a man in a large rabbit suit who manipulates him to commit a series of crimes so this was a mini review on episode 128 which was my truck to the twos number three and that was white zombie and hellbender if you were curious about that and this is one that i've seen a few different times now twice actually in the theater and the last two times in the theater but this film is deep in what it's trying to say it brings up things like free will time travel and our decisions influence those around us with the butterfly effect the bleak and depressing nature of this young man is something that is well done some might question it if it's horror but i think some of the elements include how scary frank is and the end of the world qualifies it enough the atmosphere as well the pacing of this is good and it never really drags for me the acting is great the effects are cgi mostly but surprisingly look good enough the soundtrack is amazing with each viewing i understand even more i still want to watch the director's cut at this time though i recognize this as good and would recommend it highly my rating does have some room to come up with some more research i just haven't done that yet so this is a bump in rating here as i have donnie darko as a 9 out of 10 and then just missing out on my top 10 here i have at 11 the people under the stairs 
1991. This is written and directed by Wes Craven. Stars Brendan Quinton Adams, Everett McGill, and Wendy Roby. This is a comedy horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.4 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being two adults and a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister and their stolen children. They must fight for their lives to survive. So this was a mini review on episode 82, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number nine. And I mean, I've watched this a lot growing up and this one holds up well enough for me. I think the concept of what they're going for in this house and the depravity of the couple is great. And we're even bringing up like the old dark house from the past type stuff. The underlying social commentary is something that I'm always a fan of. The pacing helps to build the story and at times get my anxiety going with the cat and the mouse. But I'll admit, I'm not a fan of the ending here. The acting though is good across the board and the effects were used as well. Soundtrack is done well in designing with the screams and yelling can be quite unnerving overall i'd say that this is a good one that i recommend giving a viewing if you're a fan of horror or not i think the message especially now is relevant so despite my you know issues there i think the people under the stairs is a solid movie and i give it a nine out of ten and then to kick off my top 10 i start with the others this is from 2001 written and directed by alejandro omniabar this stars nicole kidman Christopher Electison, Finolia Flanagan, but this is a horror mystery thriller film that is from a co-production of Spain, United States, France, and Italy. It is currently sitting on a 7.6 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, a woman who lives in her darkened old family house with her two photosensitive children becomes convinced that the home is haunted. So this is one that... I think this is an amazing take on a ghost story as well as the old dark house subgenre that we don't get a lot of good ones today. The acting does help to drive the story, which is well done. I've already brought up the setting being that I love those types, but the soundtrack helps to carry the mood this movie needs. There isn't a lot in the way of effects, but this is one that doesn't necessarily need them either. I think this is a great movie and one of the best ghost stories out there. I think I've only seen this once all the way through, so this is one that I'm actually glad to revisit when I get a chance to. As I mean, I have watched part of it growing up. Well, I mean, after 2001, obviously, but I haven't only seen it just at one time, as like I said, straight through. So my rating for the others is a 9 out of 10 as well. Then number 9 is going to be a little bit of David Lynch action here with Mulholland Drive. This is also from 2001. This was written and directed by Lynch. This stars Naomi Watts, Laura Haring, and Justin Theroux. This is a drama mystery thriller film that is from a co-production of France and the United States. Currently sitting on a 7.9 on IMDb and a 4.2 on Letterboxd. With the synopsis being, after a car wreck on the winding Mulholland Drive renders a woman amnesiac. She and a perky Hollywood hopeful search for clues and answers across Los Angeles in a twisting venture beyond dreams and reality. So I ended up digging this movie a lot. I've only seen it once. I will say that much like you would expect from Lynch, he does an excellent job at conveying things with subtle hints and showing us things, but not hammering it down our throats with telling us. The acting helps to bring this dream like film to work. And I think that he's trying to tell us is solid, even though it does have that surreal feel that Lynch is known for i put this up there as one of the easier ones to understand than some of his other ones i might be off on some of the things i thought but at the reveal i was on board for the ride the only real drawback i would say is that it does run a bit long other than that i found this to be a great movie and there's a lot to delve into 
the only warning I'll give you is that if you're not familiar with Lynch, they aren't the easiest ones always to follow. But if you want a neo-noir, this one's for you. I also consider this to go into horror with some of the things they do. And there's a great jump scare in this movie. So my rating here from Mulholland Drive is a 9 out of 10. And number 8 is also from the year of 2001 and it's Pulse. It goes by the original title of Cairo. This is the Japanese version. This is written and directed by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. This stars Hirohiku Kato, Kumuki Aso, and Koyuki. This is a horror mystery sci-fi thriller, as I said, from Japan. Currently sitting on a 6.5 on IMDb and a 3.6 on Letterboxd, with a synopsis being, two groups of people discover evidence that suggests spirits might be trying to invade the human world through the internet. So this was one that I watched back in college because I had watched the American remake first, but... This one was a mini review for my second watch on episode 33, which was Journey Through the Ots number 8, which had You'll Find Out and We Are the Missing as the two features. But this is one that is good at predicting a world similar to what we're living in now. The social commentary is kind of scary being that this is almost 20 years old at the time of, you know, last watching it. I do think it's presenting a creepy atmosphere with the color palette, soundtrack, and concept. Acting is solid. If I have gripes, it runs a bit too long with some things. I feel that are filler. But, and not all the CGI is great. The effects, though, are solid aside from a couple blips. I would say that this is a good movie and really holds up for the most part. Some of the technology used does date this. It is hard to, with how fast they develop, though. Still, if you can get past that, and this is from Japan. I watch it with subtitles, so there's, also, there's that. I think this is worth a viewing, especially in this day and age that we live in. So my rating here for Pulse is a 9 out of 10. And coming in at number 7, I have The Cabin in the Woods. This is from 2011. This is directed by Drew Goddard, who also wrote the screenplay with Joss Whedon. This stars Kristen Connolly, Chris Hemsworth, and Anna Hutchison. This is a horror mystery thriller film that is from the United States. Currently sitting on a 7.0 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd, with a synopsis being five friends go for a break at a remote cabin where they get more than they bargained for, discovering the truth behind the cabin in the woods. So this was one that I saw as a pre-street, didn't really care for it, and then have watched it a handful of times since then. I did a mini-review last time on episode number 90, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 17, which featured The Smiling Ghost and Caveat. So I will say is that this is a different type of movie, and I found it to be one of the best horror films that came out around that time. If you don't like comedy blended in your horror, you might not like this one. I think it is a deep story that looks at not only us as a viewer, but how we see films we love. In the story, it blends the two different worlds together. It has a great Lovecraftian feel. The editing keeps this moving to the climax and the ending, which are great. I thought the acting was solid across the board. The effects, both practical and CGI, are also great. The soundtrack didn't stand out, but it fit for what was needed. I would give this one a viewing if it sounds interesting, because I don't think you'll be disappointed. It is a kind of a hard one to kind of give you a little bit of an idea, because, I mean, that was part of my issue the first time that I saw it, is I was thinking one thing, we got something a bit different. But I think this is amazing. So this one actually has a bump in rating here as The Cabin in the Woods, I think is a 9.5 out of 10. Then at position number 6, I have The Phantom Carriage. It goes by the original title of Korlaken. This was directed by Victor Sojostorm, who also wrote the screenplay, and it comes from the novel from Selma Langerloff. Now, Sojostorm also stars in this along with Hilda Borgstrom and Tori Sevenberg. This is a drama fantasy horror film that is from Sweden. 
This is currently sitting on an 8.0 on IMDb and a 4.0 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being, on New Year's Eve, the driver of a ghostly carriage forces a drunken man to reflect on his selfish, wasted life. So this is one that I saw a few years ago and then gave it a revisit on episode 61, which was my top 2020 horror films list. And this would have been a mini review over there, but I knew that it was going to end up being the first movie I watched of the year, actually. So this is one that I heard was good and definitely lived up to the expectation. I like the idea of this lore of this phantom carriage in that I want to look more into this to see if this is actually something in like Swedish stuff. I thought the interesting concept that David is a horrible person and Eat It really wants to save his soul before it's too late. The acting is good across the board, which is interesting as we don't get the normal overacting you would see from the era for silent film. The only issue I have here is with the ending. I don't necessarily need to see the horrific things that could happen, but it is too happy for me. The soundtrack helps to build the tension. I thought that was good. The effects are as well for the era and for even some films after it, if I'm going to be honest. I think it's a good movie and recommend it if you enjoy silent films. So my rating here for The Phantom Carriage is a 9.5 out of 10 as well. And if you actually kind of look at it, my logo has the carriage from this movie just kind of altered a bit here and there. So yeah. And coming at number five on this one, I'm going to be a little bit brief since I just recently did a mini review is The Evil Dead from 1981. This was written and directed by Sam Raimi, stars Bruce Campbell, Ellen Sandvice, and Richard D. Manicor. This is a horror film that is from the United States. It is currently sitting on a 7.4 on IMDb and a 3.7 on Letterboxd with a synopsis being. Five friends travel to a cabin in the woods where they unknowingly release flesh-possessing demons. So I did a mini review on this one back on episode uh, number eight, which was my winter year-end number five, which I had I Trapped the Devil and Await Further Instructions. But I also just covered this on episode 148, Truck to the Twos, number 21, which had the strange case of Dr. Rx and Glorious as the featured reviews. So I'm not going to go through anything more here. So if you want to hear that, I would direct you to those two episodes. But this one I have as a 9.5 out of 10 as well. Then coming in at number four, I have Frailty from 2001, directed by Bill Paxton, written by Brent Hanley. Now Paxton stars in this with Matthew McConaughey and Powers Booth. This is a crime drama thriller that i also consider to be horror and this comes from the united states and germany this is currently sitting on a 7.2 on imdb and a 3.5 on letterbox with the synopsis being a mysterious man arrives at the office of an fbi agent and recounts his childhood how his religious fanatic father received visions telling him to destroy people who were in fact demons so this is a movie that I did, I actually watched this a few years ago and then did a rewatch on episode number 35 of Journey Through the Yachts number 10 that had Son of Ngagi and Real 2. I know Jamie watches with me and I think she was a fan as well. So I recommend this if you've never seen it. I thought the story is deep and has a couple different ways of reading it. Even at the ending, it gives you some additional things that I thought set it apart. It is edited very well. It builds tension to the climax, which I thought was satisfying. The acting is right up there with the story as one of the strongest parts. I mean this across the board. The effects looked real, and those that aren't used, and I mean there's not a lot of them used, but I mean they even do things that shouldn't look as good as they do. And there's some of the stuff that are hallucinations, so I mean like, I'm forgiving there. Soundtrack was good for what was needed. It helps to build tension. This is one that I thought great and would recommend this to horror and non-horror fans alike actually. So my rating here for Frailty is going to be the next bump up in rating as I give this one a 10 out of 10. 
Then coming in at number three, I have Kill List. This is from 2011. This was directed by Ben Wheatley, who wrote this with Amy Jump. This stars Neil Maskell, Mayanna Burring, and Harry Simpson. This is an action crime horror mystery thriller film that is from the United Kingdom. It is currently sitting on a 6.4 on IMDb and a 3.5 on Letterboxd, with a synopsis being, Nearly a year after a botched job, a hitman takes a new assignment with the promise of a big payoff for three killings. What starts off as an easy task soon unravels, sending the killer into the heart of darkness. So this is one that I took home while working at Family Video, and gave it a second watch on episode 90, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 17, the smiling ghost and caveat being the reviews over there. And this is another one that Jamie watched with me, and... This won't be for everybody. I like what we get in knowing our character of Jay and seeing him take on this job. We get to see how it takes its toll and his past coming back as well. The acting around him is good. There are some elements that I love with a cult and great atmosphere, and this goes into like full horror. This is built from the soundtrack and how it's shot. We also get some brutal effects at times. I will admit that I watched this with subtitles, and I'm pretty sure that Jamie agreed to it as well because the accents can be a bit thick. It can be difficult if you aren't up on the slang and lingo. Regardless, it's a great movie. I was high the first time around, and I'm even higher now. So my rating here for Kill List is a 10 out of 10 as well. The number two on this list is Silence of the Lambs from 1991, directed by Jonathan Demme. This is from the novel by Thomas Harris, and then the screenplay was written by Ted Talley. This stars Jodie Foster, Anthony Hopkins, and Lawrence A. Bonney. This is a crime drama thriller that I consider to be horror as well. This is from the United States. It is currently sitting on an 8.6 on IMDb and a 4.3 on Letterboxd, with the synopsis being a young FBI cadet must receive the help of an incarcerated and manipulative cannibal killer to help catch another serial killer, a madman who skins his victims. So I will direct you to a mini-review on episode 83, which was Odyssey Through the Ones number 10, as Jamie and I actually saw this in the theater because this is on the IMDb Top 100 poster that we're working through. So I'm actually not going to give my thoughts outside of that because I actually was selected to be on the podcast Under the Stairs for the Russian Roulette. I selected this movie here. So I'm not going to give thoughts just because I will be re-watching this soon to cover it over there. So I will direct you to that one if you want to hear a bit more and to hear Duncan as well as we discuss this movie. But just know, last time I watched this, and I've seen it quite a few times, is a 10 out of 10 for me. So I'm curious as to what this next rewatch will do for it. And then coming in, my number one position might be a little bit controversial, but again, this is my list, but it's a Clockwork Orange. This is from 1971, directed by Stanley Kubrick, who also wrote the screenplay. This is from the novel by Anthony Burgess, stars Malcolm McDowell, Patrick McGee, and Michael Bates. Technically a crime sci-fi film that I consider to go dark enough with some of the themes into horror, and this is from the United Kingdom and United States. This is currently sitting on an 8.3 on IMDb and a 4.1 on Letterboxd, with a synopsis being, In the future, a sadistic gang leader is imprisoned and volunteers for a conduct aversion experiment, but it doesn't go as planned. So I've seen this a dozen or more so times. Like, I watched this in college and did a paper on it to help, you know, graduate. Probably wrote more than just one there, but this one, the last time I watched it was a mini-review on episode 107. That was Italian Horror number 11. That featured Leviathan and Fear Street Part 3, 1666. I've seen this movie in the theater, just recently picked up the 4K that I want Jamie to watch, but some of the subject matter is a little bit rough, and it's kind of a longer movie, so this has been, you know, something we've talked about here and there. I think this is a masterpiece. It is my favorite Kubrick film, as there are many layers to it. The partly reason is that many of my favorite filmmakers tend to do that. We have a futuristic story that feels grounded and almost timeless. 
The performance from McDowell is excellent, and the rest of the cast is great in directing him to where he goes. The movie is shot beautifully. The effects aren't great, but they don't need to be. The effects fit what we need here, and this works as well. And I would say the soundtrack is also great. I don't have much negative to say aside from that it is long. I can't hold that against it as it flies by for me. This is close to a perfect movie as you can get in my opinion. So my rating for A Clockwork Orange, if you couldn't guess, is a 10 out of 10. So what do you think of this list? Do you have movies that I should have watched that should probably be on this one? Or is there movies that you think I should remove or anything like that? Give me your opinions. I will tell you how you can here in the outro. So what I'm going to go ahead and do is get you over to one last break before I close out the show. I would like to welcome you back and then just to close everything out here if you'd like to send me an email with any sort of feedback or anything that you'd like to have right on the show you can send me that email at journeywithacinephile at gmail.com if there's anything that you send me you don't want right on the show just let me know in that email if you'd like to read any of the reviews from anything on this episode or any of the past episodes that's horrorreview.webnode.com if you'd like to become friends with me on Facebook, I'm David Mishkin Garrett Jr. On Twitter, I'm Buckeye from Mish. Letterboxd, I'm David OSU. And over there, I'll be posting all of the reviews of anything that I'm watching that is horror or non-horror alike. If you'd like to follow my Instagram page, that's David OSU87. If you'd like to follow the Journey with a Cinephile Instagram, that's Journey with a Cinephile, all one word. What I will be posting over there is on both of them the movie posters of anything that I am reviewing. And if you follow my personal one, every now and then you might see some personal pictures if I ever post any because I tend to forget while I'm out and about. And just to make it easier on you, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. And then the last thing I'd ask you to do is that whatever podcatching device you're listening to me on, if you could go ahead and hit subscribe so you never miss a new episode, that would be greatly appreciated. Also, if you're able to rate and review just so I can figure out what I'm doing that you like and what I'm doing that you don't like, as well as to get out to more listeners out there as well. And for the next episode, I will be back to doing my Trek to the Twos as I actually got to go see Pearl in the theater with Jamie. And uh, that will be one of the featured reviews that I'll be doing. And then the other one is The Mad Doctor of Market Street. This kind of makes for a little bit of an interesting double feature, but I'll get into that next episode. Other than that, I think I'll be doing some you know, more mini reviews, You know, keeping up with what I usually do over there. Don't think there's anything else you need to get you up to speed with here. This has been a longer episode and everything like that. So I do appreciate you for listening. And what I will say then in closing is that whatever you do today, I hope you're safe and doing and have a great time out there. This is your tour guide of David Garrett Jr. And I am signing off. It had been a wonderful evening. And what I needed now to give it the perfect ending 